0: We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. We'll do it live. Fucking thing. We'll do it live. Fuck it.
1: Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Death Holler. Uh, This is a special presentation of the House of the Devil. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me as always through the spirit box is the ghost of the most, La Urena. How you doing, Urena?
1: Reverend, I am doing wonderful. I am haunting the new and improved Blue Collar BS Studios. They thought that a good old modification would get rid of me, but I'm still here.
0: Yeah, I guess they didn't uh, have enough uh, protections uh, built in, didn't burn enough sage to keep you out this time, so.
1: Nope, they couldn't get rid of me.
0: (laughs) Well, today's uh, uh, special episode uh, was originally going to be part of the uh, discussion we had on Rosemary's Baby. It was originally actually going to be an Attack of the Bees segment, but I just started seeing so many parallels between the movie that we're going to discuss today and Rosemary's Baby, especially given the societal differences that were going on at the time and the and the kind of the compare and contrast between the two of them that I kind of want to break it out into its own thing. So that's kind of where we're at with this episode. Um, also... Uh, one little thing I wanted to bring up from the last episode that I that I don't think that I mentioned was that around the time that Rosemary's Baby was going on, we did mention some of the societal, you know, issues that were, you know, occurring at the time. You know, JFK had uh, been assassinated. We had the uh, civil rights uh, movement, uh, women's, you know, uh, rights movement. But Anton, La- the biggest thing, and I don't know why I left this out, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan had just started up. So that's kind of a big yes. thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, naturally, I read about that. So I was thinking, hey, we could have talked about this. And it's kind of funny. Well, maybe in that time, they weren't ready for Anton LaVey and didn't quite know exactly who he was. Because I was thinking, why wouldn't they at least bring up an aspect of that church, which I guess they did with the cult, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think it was in in the subconscious of everybody at the time. I mean, that's I think that's what spurred the... You know, this bad of satanic films that came out, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, uh, the one we'll be discussing in the near future, The Omen. But I, I don't think that it quite hit them at the time of Rosemary's Baby so much that they, you know, that they were fully aware of what they were getting into with this. Um, but by the time that this movie that we're discussing today came about, which this one was actually made in 2009, I believe it was, but... Regardless, the, the time period that's set in the, the late 70s, early 80s, the Satanic Church had been in effect for a while. And, and there's a phenomenon that went on in the country called Satanic Panic. And, and before we go into anything else, I think it's time that Urena goes into a little bit about what Satanic Panic was. So we have a good basis for what the actually the two films that I'm going to bring up today uh, kind of have as their background.
1: Yeah, the Satanic Panic, I mean, it plays a huge role um, in the films. I mean, I don't know. Looking at my research here, maybe not directly related, but I can see. Uh, so the Satanic Panic was uh, a band of four guys uh, by the name of Trash, Dave, Smut, and Filth. And they basically were risen from hell. Originally, they had a deal with the Dark Lord and... They basically, he was like their talent scout to basically kind of, I don't know, make a deal with the devil. Uh, they can basically, you know, they went around, they were killing some people in high school, had a deal to basically kind of, I don't know, was it the Fright Club they were trying to beat?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, if we're talking about uh, the satanic paint they referenced in uh, in Sabrina, yeah, that, that's what they were doing in that one. Yeah, that that's, <laughs> that's what, you know, the, their whole beef was
1: yeah uh, I thought it'd be really good to talk about that satanic panic that's what you wanted me to research right
0: well that uh, I was thinking along the lines of just the cultural phenomenon itself like uh, you know as far as like just the the craziness that the country itself went into because there was there was a time in this country's history where uh, and around the time the movie this movie was set today the house of the devil the the late 70s or early 80s and I would even argue into the mid to late 80s uh it still reared its ugly head where everywhere anybody looked and i don't know if this was a you know just a facet of the fact that we were in a more conservative culture at the time under reagan but everywhere that oh, everybody looked we had a uh it, it was just uh, there was uh, satanic cults were kidnapping kids uh, there was you know mention of it as far as like i think john walsh's son whenever he got you know was oh, kidnapped you know they 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 thought that that was part of it and i mean and it went so far as that um Even kids playing Dungeons and Dragons at the time were, you know... Oh,
1: I know. (laughs) That was funny. Yeah,
0: it was considered, you know, basically they they felt that, you know, the Satanists were taking the country over and they were, you know, kidnapping kids and and killing people, you know, in these cult rituals. Oh, it was more than that. Yeah. It was
1: more than the kidnapping kids. I hope you know I was messing with you, by the way, with Satanic (laughs) Panic from Sabrina. (laughs) I had to bring it up. When you told me to research Satanic Panic.
0: (laughs) I I, I kind of figured that you were because you'd mentioned some other things, you know, off air to me that that made me think that you'd researched the actual phenomenon. But yeah. Dang
1: it. I shouldn't have even told you. I should have just let it be a full blown surprise. Yes. uh, For those listening and those following our last episode, our last special presentation, um, in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, there was a band by the name of Satanic Panic. Uh, causing all kinds of mass hysteria of their own. Not really. They they actually kind of sucked. Um. <laughs> so the real satanic panic. And you know what? What, what? When you when you Google satanic panic, go ahead. I'm sorry, Reverend.
0: What, one thing I was going to bring up, if we're going to reference other things that we've brought up on our podcast, if you go back to the Vivich episode, actually the Tack of the Beast oh, segment on that, that was actually the movie I mentioned uh, with Jerry O'Connell and uh, Rebecca Romaine what was called satanic panic, referencing, you know, obviously the whole, you know, thing that we're going to be discussing today, but it's kind of a tongue in cheek play on it.
1: Well, the movies you've been selecting, and we've been watching, granted, we selected them together. They really are tying into each other a lot, especially I'm seeing a lot of Rosemary ba- Rosemary's Baby references in almost everything I'm watching lately. So it's kind of funny, um, all the way from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina to, you know, what we watched, you know, recently. Um, I go back a little further because when you Google the Satanic Panic, you're going to get a lot of different series of events that happened in the 1980s. And I'll discuss a little bit about that. I'm not going to go too much into detail because you kind of get the idea of what's going on. Um, Ultimately, satanic panic is described as a result of mass media. But it was, and when you think of mass media nowadays, we're thinking of social media. We're thinking, you know, Facebook, we're thinking Twitter, we're thinking the news. When I, Think of the satanic panic and the reverend i think you agree with me it goes as far back as the puritanic panic probably even further back
0: well i you know now that you mentioned that I, I wasn't even putting that in my mind but it was literally a satanic panic whenever the the events of like the witch you know that we discussed were going on i mean that's exactly i mean what would you call yeah, it otherwise it was
1: <laughs> a satanic panic every anything that brought them joy of any kind of sorts was the result of the devil. So I look at it, it's not the it's not the actual satanic panic. I'm aware of that, but you cannot ignore the Puritanic Panic is what I like to call it. Like I googled Puritanic Panic. I don't think anyone has used that, so I need to like <laughs> you need to copyright Put my that. stamp on that it's, word. It's yet. on this
0: episode. As long as you said it, uh, if anybody tries to take it, it's yours. So you've got it now.
1: It is uh, March of 2021, <laughs> and we just want it known that, and not even that we had. A, I said Puritanic Panic in the Vivich episode, so I'm I'm locking down on that word. Someone's probably so, said it. There's no way. Uh,
0: well, maybe, but so you're basically, and I and I can't, I don't know if I can refute this, so you're basically saying that the, the puritanical roots of this country have led to uh, uh, basically a satanic panic of sorts that's n- never really left this country's founding, and it's kind of continued with us over the centuries and decades.
1: Well, now that you say that, I wasn't thinking that, but that's not necessarily... Untrue. I mean, I don't think so much it's Puritanism. I think it's just people and scandal and how, you know, rumors get spread and what you do with those rumors after that. Because if you think about it, when we talked about the Puritanic Panic and the Vivich, which ultimately led into the Salem witch hunts and the trials, which that was, let's see, the Puritanic Panic was the 16th century, still within the 1600s. I mean, you had 1690s, the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. Then, way fast forward, look, I know there's gaps I could fill in from then to where I'm jumping to now, but 1960s, well, 1968, you had Rosemary's Baby, and that caused hysteria.
0: Well, uh, you could probably go, the with, you could go for, uh, a little bit farther back than that if you want to really kind of tie it all into, I mean, something else into it. Uh, what was the Red Scare be, but kind of a satanic panic. I mean, it wasn't the exact, I mean, it wasn't Satan necessarily, but they called the, you know, the, the hunt for communists a witch trial. Like, I mean, it, so it's, I mean, there, there's hints of that same kind of, you know, mentality, at least, even back in the 50s.
1: Oh, it, it, it goes on. As we get closer to our current times, which, honestly, witch hunts, it may not be called the satanic panic, but witch hunts are directly correlated with the Satanic Panic. You, basically, you're you're putting a mark on somebody and say we need to go after them because of blank, because that's how it happened. But what caused this, specifically the Satanic Panic, was all the different things that related to the devil or Satan himself that really got people unhinged and scared and nervous. In 1969, Anton LaVey, as you had mentioned earlier, he kind of made his, you know, debut, and he was the Church of Satan, which as we know now isn't they don't worship so Far. They don't worship the devil. They are more or less kind of mocking religion by acting like a religious cult or religious deity of sorts.
0: Yeah, some of the, so, some of their stuff's kind of goofy. I mean they literally just like, what does the Bible say that they do in this certain ritual? Let's just do the opposite. It's kinda I, I don't know. The it, opposite yeah, of it. Yeah. Kinda... They have
1: their own rituals. <laughs> they have their own weird like he did it, granted for show, but it scared people. If you are conservative and religious of any sort, like really religious, you're following, you are a Bible thumper or you are following the word of the Lord, it's going to scare you because you are taught to fear the devil. So I can't necessarily blame them. Now, not long after that, in the 1970s, we had the Manson murders. True. I mean, okay, this was before the quotation mark satanic panic. Then you had the exorcist. <laughs> Tell me, the fear of the devil was not deeply rooted in all of those.
0: Well, I mean, it, it was. And if you want to go even further, uh, we'll get into this more in the omen episode that we're going to record here very shortly. But uh, the the whole genesis of that was uh, literally the guy who who came to him with the idea for for the omen was a born-again Christian, and he was, you know, like, what if, you know, and like he was in, you know, after seeing some of these other movies around the same time, was just like, what if the Antichrist lives amongst us? And it was, you know, more of that, you know, religious, uh, you know, fear of the devil type thing that fit into that movie. So, you know, it it, it all kind of went through uh, really from the 60s. There's a through line all the way to the late 70s that led into this whole event that we're talking about.
1: Yes. Now, as we rolled kind of into the late seventies out of the seventies and to the eighties, where the Satanic panic literally took off and was called identified as the Satanic panic, I mean, you had murderers like the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, Berkowitz, excuse me, and Richard Ramirez, which i mean the the one thing. When I think of Richard Ramirez, I think of the pictures they they made of him that they put up around Los Angeles, and I think about the time he was in court and he had the uh, pentagram on his hand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that really got people going. So I'm going to briefly break down, and of course, add, please, by all means, add anything you want to add to the satanic panic, but it kind of started with witch hunts. That's not how it's described at all. When you read or listen to any kind of podcast about the satanic panic, they just talk about basically young children that started accusing a large, vast amount of people of very inappropriate things. Um, We're talking about sex crimes. We're talking about murdering, just cannibalism, anything evil you can think of. Um, now, I apologize in advance that I did not look into the maybe the first child and what, why they did this. I literally only read and heard about it. No, but I didn't get into the deep down of what caused this. What were they trying to, with these, all these abuse allegations, which caused a satanic panic, which these children basically saying these adults were doing inappropriate things and there was, literally rituals involved with it they turned it into something so scary i mean they got deep into the lore about the devil that really concerned me like where did they get this information do you have anything further than what i've
0: investigated i didn't even know that it started with with kids because the the main thing that i remember because i remember part of this whenever i was growing up was that uh you know it was further spread which i'm sure you'll get into by you know conservative uh like uh cultural leaders like uh, of all people tipper gore was one i mean you you know had that whole trial where she mm-hmm. had d snyder twisted sister on stage like trying to say that he was putting him and ozzy osborne were putting satanic messages in their you know records and trying oh, to yes. you know turn yes. turn their, that was part of it yeah so i mean that's what i remember from it i didn't even know that it you know that you know any kids kind of you know facilitated that to kind of go into it so that's that's actually new information to me
1: Okay, so it was specifically related to Kern County, which is located, I want to say, um, probably Southern California area, if, I, if I'm reading this correctly or if I had researched correctly. Um, and it was in relation to, oh God, the Kern County abuse allegations. it was like a child care center where children were basically coming forward to declare that they had been molested, uh, part of a local, like, occult sex ring. So I don't know if this was one child that placed this in another child's head. I mean, we had movies out at that time that definitely could have planted a seed of this into their heads. But, I mean, the bizarre sex acts, the occult-like ways and things like that, it got real bad. So it literally, Reverend, turned into almost the Salem Witch Trials where you had the young girls that were accusing women of doing things to them only the witch trials were particularly like you know all supernatural you know she's causing me to feel needle pricks she put a spell on me you know things like that were these were children that were actually saying that things bad things were happening to them directly and the other thing about it is one of the investigators at the time he had a uh, a foster child that he investigated over 200 people for because she went down the street and started pointing out, oh, that house, it was a woman with dark hair. That place, it was a large, robust man. That place, it just total randomness that led to a mass hysteria, a mass panic, and naturally it hit the news, and what did the news do with it? The same thing they do today. They take the worst of it and they put it in our faces and shove it down our throats.
0: You know, this, I don't know if this is related, but it was around the same time. Um, This kind of reminds me of the the craziness that went on around the same time that, uh, you know, they they, they had the fear over the razor blades and the candy and all that. And and the the whole story behind that, I mean, it's kind of a tangent, but the whole story behind that came to be that like there was, one kid who, uh, you know, whose parents said that that happened to him, but like it turned out later, there was no proof that it ever happened. It was kind of made up. I don't know whether oh, by yeah. the kid or the parents. But like from then on, like it was like you cannot give kids like you know uh, candy that's not already been you know that's already wrapped and all that because you know and we and we got to take them and have them x-rayed and. And, you know, it's like one of those urban legends that just like, you know, took off from this little local event and, you know, just and and, and they think they think uh, if, if it even did occur in that certain situation, that it was actually a relative of the family, like one of the uncles that put the razor blade oh, in the yeah. kid's apple or whatever. But because of that one thing, everybody was doing it. So it was like so I could see where, you know, something like this would, you know. Naturally snowballing, you know, just avalanche into something, you know, completely, you know, crazy.
1: Well, the reason I brought up such older events such as Puritanism, you know, the Salem witch hunts and trials, the movies, and the murderers is because you can see throughout history where it constantly repeats itself. And the reason I brought up the murderers was because I really think that, like, specifically, like Richard Ramirez, I think, oh, even you know, Charles Manson, those were igniters. Those were things that were within a decade of having happened. Everyone was aware of it so that when not just these children, but when people took this information that they got and ran with it, they had physical proof. No, we have people that worship the devil. Charles Manson exists. Anton LaVey exists. Richard Ramirez exists. They had all this information to go off of and they ran with it and it got real bad it was just like the Salem witch trials you literally had a person let me I have an example there was a priest that he was disgusted by all these accusations so he decided to stand up in the middle of court you know during while accusations were being made it was more like a press conference if you will and he had asked the the investigator hey are you sure because A lot of these people are parishioners of my church, and this just doesn't seem right. To which the investigator said, wow, you seem to be on their side. Do you support what they are doing? And he was like, no, I absolutely do not. I'm just making sure that you guys are doing the proper steps, going through the proper channels to make sure that you really know that this is happening before you accuse them of this to which the investigator then, a week later, had a new list of people to be investigated and suspects, and that priest was on that list.
0: <laughs> that sounds exactly like this the witch trials. The- <laughs> I mean, yes,
1: so this is, this is the satanic panic. This is why I brought up the older stuff. Um, the satanic panic did go on to other things, like you mentioned, where you start accusing you know, music makers of worshiping the devil and... You know, other churches got accused of certain things and it just started getting everywhere. I mean, I think you and I can agree that even now we have the news where if somebody doesn't like somebody and they talk about it on the news, everybody hates that person or you're supposed to. And if you don't hate that person, you are literally might as well be worshiping the devil.
0: It's, yeah, I didn't think about that. But if you want to, you could probably label cancel culture as the new witch trials i mean really if you i mean you say one you know uh, somebody gets you know this wild idea about somebody you know get the mob together put an end to them i mean it's it it's kind of the same thing just you're uh, instead of now it's more like a uh, scarlet letter as in like let's let's shun them as opposed to like burn them at the stake but you know it's that kind of same yeah. concept
1: well, it was funny because I was listening to a podcast and they were trying to keep politics out of it, which rightfully so, but they were trying to lean more towards one side, saying, well, it was the conservatives that caused the most issues by doing this, 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 and this. And I was thinking in my head, I need to research to see how old this podcast is because do they realize that the other side is the side doing that right now, <laughs> canceling everything and saying this person is bad. We need to make sure that they are removed from society and, you know, basically cut his head off, yeah. you know, his or her head off. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I the, the research I got to do on this was, okay, now that I've gone through it, I've enjoyed it. But I messaged you and said, this is bullshit because it was because literally what the actual satanic, not talking about the historical stuff I went to. But the actual satanic panic was a lot of daddy issues. Um, I hate to say, it, you know, children that were displaced at young ages. There was definitely abuse, but not all of it. Excuse me. None of it was a cult like at all. They found that out for sure. All of the accusations that were made, none of it happened. I'm not saying that these children didn't have a hard life. The ones that started it, by the way. Um, And I'm not saying that there wasn't some sort of abuse, whether it be mental or not. But what basically everything they said was not true at all. And I don't know how they walked it back. I didn't get that far into it. Or at least, let me rephrase, I never literally found any information about how it was handled after they found out it didn't happen.
0: It's, it's crazy that you bring all that stuff up because, like, literally, I, I didn't know anything about all that. I do, like I said, you know, at the start of this, what I primarily remember as a kid growing up in the 80s, because it's kind of just kind of washed over a person as they were growing up, was, you know, just the other stuff. Like, once it got, like, you know, to the, the mass media, like you said, and, like, the, the trickle-down effect... The whole thing about, I remember Ozzy Osbourne got in trouble and, and, and got sued at one point in time because somebody said that if you took one of his records and played it backwards, it says, get the gun, get the oh, gun, yeah. kill, kill, that was kill. Part of it. Um, you know, of course, Twisted Sister D. Snyder got up there and basically gave Tipper Gore what, you know, what she needed <laughs> as far as like, you know, telling her off. Um, There was just, you know, one thing after another, the whole Dungeons & Dragons thing I always thought was laughable because, you know... That
1: was so hilarious.
0: You get a bunch of geeky kids together, and because they're, you know, playing a game that has, like, some, you know, evil-looking creatures on the cover, has spells in the book, it's like, you know, it's one of those things where they were like, oh, these kids are getting together, and they're, you know, having uh, satanic rituals out in the woods or whatever and using these books to, like, summon, you know, demons or whatever. There was that whole thing.
1: I actually have a funny story about that. I mean, not a long one at all, but my very Catholic parents, uh, they would they like absolutely refused to allow me to play Magic the Gathering. They told me I could summon the devil. It's basically a game of the devil. And obviously I knew that about the Ouija board specifically, and like neither myself or even some of my witch friends. Like, I have friends that claim to be witches, not magical witches by any means, but, you know, they practice, you know, there's pagans, Wiccans, and all of them agree. You stay the fuck away from the Ouija board. But Magic the Gathering, really?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's went through time too. I mean, it's not just those ones. Cause I remember something, when, uh, you know, and I guess it's a factor of living in the Bible Belt, but. And, and you might not have got this so much, but there was actually talk when the Harry Potter movies came out of trying to ban those. Oh, yes. I mean...
1: Oh, yes. Big time. Okay. And I got another funny one. I don't know if you've heard this one. Pokemon.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't know Pokemon was on their uh, list of things that were satanic somehow.
1: Yeah. And it's very... It was a very small amount. Like We didn't take off at all, but I know at one time Pokemon was being attacked for potentially being, you know, an evil game. Trying to get kids into magic and stuff like that. So,
0: oh, I, you know, I just thought of one that you wouldn't think of, and I only just uh, saw this on on uh, some YouTube videos. But apparently, in the '80s, uh, this was so prevalent about the the satanic panic stuff in you know other areas that uh, barcodes were uh, were something oh, that yes. were feared. I don't know if you <laughs> ran across this, but when barcodes first came out. It was a mark of the devil, devil. but the reason for that was apparently one of the UPC, like lead into the UPC code was a six or something like that. It wasn't like at the manufacturer level, it was at the distributor level or something like that. And they say that, you know, all the items that they had were being marked with sixes, you know, and it was like a sign of the beast and uh, the real stringent conservatives were saying we can't shop at places that are using these UPC codes and It it went that far. I mean, it was just, like, everywhere.
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) excuse me, as I'm choking because I'm, like, inhaling right now, but I'm not smoking, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um. this was one of the most intense things I have researched thus far. Even after, you know, looking into puritanism and, you know, religion and witchcraft and everything and i just you i could i thought i couldn't believe it when it happened back in the puritan times okay in the 16th century i extra couldn't believe it after i heard about it in the 80s
0: i mean it's and even now it's it's really insane and and i just thought it was i mean it, it's such a stark contrast i mean if you take a look at those movies like i said you know the the Rosemary's Baby at the start of this when Anton LaVey started up the Church of Satan versus this time period we're talking about, which is, you know, the early 80s, where it's just like, I mean, it took such a dark turn. Like, there was people, like, you know, really afraid that there was satanic cults out there kidnapping people left and right and just, you know, killing them for the rituals. I mean, it was a legit fear people had.
1: Yeah, I mean... I imagine, I know there are a few people that, okay, look it, they do it in the name of the Lord and they do it in the name of the devil. Okay. There are some people that are that crazy. It is so small. The amount, the percentage of people who have done that or believe really, truly believe in that. I mean, I honestly wouldn't even give it at a percent, honestly, (sighs) not even at 1%. It is so small. So to fear that is just, in my opinion, it's not even worth it. I mean it's not something that you don't think about and then you got your hot topic goths, you know that they're not <laughs> going to harm a fly. Let's be honest. I, okay, so you see those kids you go into hot topic, you're not in the you're not in the realm of the devil. You'll be fine. Calm down, Karen.
0: But we're also talking about a time period we got to put ourselves in that that mindset. I mean, you know, you think about media now and how things are a little bit more disseminated, but, you know, it kind of depends. You can go down rabbit holes and get in echo chambers. But, I mean, you have access to, you know, different media sources and different, you know, opinions. Back in those days, you had like the three channels, you know, or or four or whatever it was. And if they were running a local news story about how somebody was, you know, had had disappeared or been kidnapped and, you know, and, and all this stuff and, you know, how news... Normally does like if they get something that's a clickbaity type thing that gets some viewings or whatever or clicks or whatever they'll run with it. Well, I mean if you keep having that hammered in, I think that's kind of what fed this because nobody had any. It's like uh, the only news they had were telling them you know that that's this is what was happening. So
1: I'm trying to remember there was a you know kind of like um unsolved mysteries. It wasn't unsolved mysteries. I'm trying to think of the big. Uh, sp- not sports guy, I don't know why the hell I was thinking a sportscaster. (laughs) Some big news guy that actually did a huge special on the Satanic Panic and more or less Satanism. And you know what's hilarious is they actually had uh, experts, which were by the way, uh, ex-cult members of not the Church of Satan, but Satanism. They, They claimed to have, you know, practiced Satanism and be part of the occult, so they were occult experts total bullshit I mean <laughs> it was total bullshit they got on to some of the high-end you know talk shows and news specials and people paid the money they actually were even on the police force to help you know determine okay yeah this person is an occultist and this is what they would do and this is how they would do it and things like that to try to help them solve murders and solve crimes and it, it got out of hand. I'm, I'm really surprised
0: that Geraldo didn't have like a big expose on it. I mean, he he was in everything at the time, you know, so.
1: It might as well have been Geraldo, but I'm not, I didn't, <laughs> I apparently did not find it important to write down the person's name. I just found it hilarious because it wasn't just one person. It was a few. I bet you it was more than a few. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm, I'm, I was pretty I'm sure. much chuckling the whole time. Is it well? Is there anything else that you have to add to any of that? I mean, before we get into the discussion of the films uh, for the evening, or I mean, or anything you want to add, you know, that, that you know, from the I mean, you're just your your opinion on the whole matter. I mean, before we get into that,
1: yeah, my opinion on it is that although you know we don't really believe in Satan, you know, at least I refuse to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do find it scary that a satanic panic or something. Very similar to it, I find it to be scary how you can take something, run with it, and try to get a huge amount of people to... Fuck, we didn't even talk about the Nazis. <laughs> you get a big enough group of people to believe something so much or to have to follow, you know, something like that, it can get dangerous and it can get scary.
0: I'm, I am fully agree with you. I mean, you get any kind of uh, mass hysteria and uh, let that settle in, and I mean, it... It's it's hard to tamp down. I mean, there's really I mean, there it, it takes almost like some magical, you know, like, uh, I, you know, like uh, some kind of big act to kind of get it out of the public mind. I mean, it, it kind of delves so far in. I mean, it uh, it doesn't really wear off, you know, as, as easily as you would hope it would. You know, just you know, it doesn't flame up and burn out. It's it's kind of just there unless something comes in and just snaps people out of it.
1: Yeah, you start to wonder if The Purge is a really bad idea or not, you know? (laughs) All right, we should move on, because that was the most informed I've ever made, you guys. You're welcome.
0: Thank you very much. Um, Moving on, uh, our first segment's going to be an Attack of the Bees. Even though this is an Attack of the Bees uh, that's been drawn out, I wanted to add another one in here, because I thought this was a a neat little parallel to this movie.
1: Okay, should I cue the music?
0: Cue the music.
1: What, What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, my eyes!
0: So today's Attack of the Bees is uh, We Summon the Darkness. It's a 2019 independent film. Uh, principal players in this one is uh, Alexandria Daddario, who plays Alexis. Uh, she's been in several horror films, uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D, uh, we Have Always Lived in the Castle, a little independent film uh, based on one of Shirley Jackson's films, or books, I should say, uh, The Attic. Um, she was also in some bigger movies like Baywatch and San Andreas. She's one of those actresses that, they're, they're, she's got some charisma to her, and I don't really know why she's not really broken out, but she's kind of like in one of those mid, you know, she can't really break into the A-list. She's more of a, you know, B or a C-list actress uh we the next up we have maddie hessen who plays val um i haven't really seen any of the movies she's been in uh, or heard of them really but she was one of the highlights of, the, of this movie as far as just uh, just a fun character the way that she played it and uh, had a lot of charisma uh amy forsyth plays beverly she's been in a ton of indie films uh torment uh, a christmas horror story which includes a krampus b movie um (laughs) and most of those as we know are terrible um and she's also she was in uh, channel zero candle cove uh which was actually channel zero is actually a really good little uh uh, horror series Uh, i really liked candle cove in particular uh hellfest is another film that she done recently which is kind of a neat twist on, like, a theme park that has Halloween events, but it's, like, one of those ones where they have full contact. But, you know, of course, there's an actual killer this time when they're going through everything. And uh, last but not least is Johnny Knoxville playing Pastor John. Uh, and, of course, you know...
1: Oh, my God. We,
0: we know Johnny Knoxville, of course, is jackass and Dukes of Hazzard and <laughs> And so... Anyways, this film starts off... Well, he,
1: he was doing good for a minute there after Jackass.
0: Well, let me tell you... He kind of
1: just fell off the face of the earth. Let
0: me tell you, in this movie, uh, I don't know what, what's happened to Johnny Knoxville, but man, he looks haggard in this movie. Like, I mean, he looks like death warmed over. I mean, he, he plays a good, you know... Bad priest or, or bad preacher, I should say. He's not really a priest; he's a preacher. But he just—he's—he's he's so drawn in the face. I mean, I don't know. Age is not—I guess all those stunts he did on Jackass have really wore down his body.
1: <laughs> Reverend, I know you probably said it. Did you say when this film was made?
0: Uh, it's a 2019 film. I don't know if they—that was when okay, it was released. So kind of recent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it starts off in Indiana in 1988. Uh, the three leads uh, are kind of dressed in like a punk-slash-heavy metal-type you know, get-up. They're on their way to a heavy metal rock concert. Uh, as they're uh, going to the concert, the news that is on, an, either on the radio or in the background of one of the scenes in a, in a store that they go to is dominated by the stories of deaths of people at the hands of a satanic cult. And then you have a uh, pastor John you know show up on the local news talking about it uh, and he's working up everybody into a frenzy over how the Satanists are taking over and that sort of thing um, they uh, the girls uh, as they're you know as they're traveling along have uh, these idiots in this uh, van kind of throw a milkshake onto their windshield and you know they you know kind of get pissed off about it but it turns out that whenever they get to the rock show they see the same guys you know that's in that van at the show and so they decide to do something similar they throw like some uh, fireworks inside of it and they you know kind of you know piss them off but at the same time uh th- they decide that they're gonna you know uh, one of the girls takes a liking to one of the guys in the van and so they decide that they're just gonna you know meet with these guys after the show what sets this movie apart is that it actually has a twist because whenever these guys agree to go with these girls later on to Alexis's house, or it's actually her stepmom's house, it turns out that uh, Alexis basically, you know, spoiler alert, she, they play a game of uh, Never Have I Ever and, like, get these guys to drink this concoction that Alexis has and, and basically she drugs all of them, all the guys, and it turns out the girls themselves are the cult. And the twist is, is that there's not actually a satanic cult in this movie. The girls are all members of uh, Pastor John's, um, uh, you know, church. And they're trying to work, uh, trying to get more converts into the church by going around killing random people, especially like these, you know, heavy metal, you know, quote unquote, uh, satanic, you know, uh, you know, uh, people that are listening to, you know, satanic music, basically, they're they're going around killing them to get the, the good church folk into the church and drive up, you know, Pastor John's attendance. So I thought that was a neat... Okay, t- that's...
1: I, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a neat twist. I thought it was a
0: neat twist. If there's actually no satanic cult, it's actually the, the, the you know, uh, evangelical church that's actually causing all the, the killings.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Um, the only problem I have is that from there on in the movie... The, the 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 two leads of Alexandria D'Addario and um and and the one who and and uh, Maddie Hasson who plays Val, they they steal the movie. I mean they the you know they both have charisma to burn. I mean they're they're just you know playing it up to the nine. They're like you know super out there. The the third you know female lead, she's kind of like the one who's on the fence. So she she's more the straight person in the film. It's one of those movies where you root for the bad guys, cause there's, I mean, because the three guys that they pick up, they're complete duds. Like the guys who play or the actors in the movie, they they don't really have much personality. You don't really care for them. I mean, I, you know, it's one of those movies where if you're what, like, I'll put it in, you know, as an example, if if you were watching a Jason film, and you know everybody's grown to, you know, basically root for Jason. Well, in this movie. You know, you're rooting for you know uh, Val and Alexis to uh, basically you know see how crazy they can get with their kills, but the movie plays it more like okay, they're the bad you know girls or whatever, so the guys uh, have to get out of here somehow. And and so whenever they the the guys actually start turning the tables and killing off the these you know the lead actresses, I think the movie takes a turn for the worse because you're killing your charismatic leads. And um, yeah. The only thing that kind of say saved... I
1: love movies where you're rooting for the bad guy, and
0: and and this is a movie where you really are because I mean you know they like I said they if they wanted the the male leads to be the heroes and the people that you're rooting for they should I mean they literally got some of the just I mean ho hum actors they could have these guys are nondescript I couldn't tell one from the other to be honest with you, except for one guy's kind of chunky. That's the only difference between all three yeah. of them. And, and <laughs> sounds
1: like my kind of guy. Yeah,
0: and then there's the quote-unquote good-looking one. That's the one that uh, the the third uh, you know female lead Beverly falls in love with. But I mean, the only thing that kind of turns around near the end whenever uh, the the two. Uh, you know, charismatic female leads are, you know, are, are put down or they're kind of, you know, they're not, I don't know if they... Put down? Yeah, well, they're not really... <laughs> they're not
1: dogs, Reverend. They might be bitches. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, when, when they're killed in the movie, but they're not really... I, I can't really say they're killed because I think there's like... I think Alexander Daddario's, like, character Alexis at one point is kind of still crawling, but, you know, she's kind of lost her, you know, bite at that point because she doesn't have, you know, the oh, yeah. energy to take him down. The only thing that saves it at that point is that that's when Johnny Knoxville comes in the movie and he, you know, provides the extra charisma to kind of finish the movie out. Um,
1: okay, I could see that.
0: And basically it hints that, you know, or it shows that he was uh, fully on board with this the whole time. I mean, there's kind of a part in the middle where it kind of plays around with the fact that alexis is doing this just kind of curry daddy's favor because she you know and all that but it really uh you know pastor john's been in on it the whole time and and there's even a scene where beverly discovers that he's been like pocketing huge huge amounts of like you know the tithing that's been given to his church so he's like making bank off of this and so at the end of the movie it's kind of one of those endings where You know, the, the, one of the male leads escapes with Beverly and they're kind of, you know, riding off into the sunset. But it shows that Johnny Knoxville's character never got his comeuppance because he's still, you know, riling people up at how evil it was that these people attacked his own daughter, you know. And he's using that to sell to, you know, get people into his church. So... Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) That actually sounds like a really good movie. Like, I do, you know that I don't prefer B-movies and... That sounds like one that I would actually enjoy watching. The
0: the only thing that I'll say is that the kills uh, are kind of ho hum. I mean, especially if you're used to like the ones like in some of the later slasher films where they get really inventive. This is more of like you know, hey, I, I think the the biggest you know inventive thing they've got is that like Beverly finds some kind of weird tool in like the in the bar in Pastor John's barn or something like that, and she uses that to like kill uh, Val's character or something like that. But or, or sets Val on fire, but I mean, there's really nothing, I mean, it, there's no, like, inventive kills in this movie, so it, it kind of loses a little bit in that respect, but I, I like the concept.
1: Yeah, but that kind of makes it a little realistic, because it's fun seeing those crazy kills, like in slasher movies, with when you have a crazy, huge, you know, supernatural character of sorts, like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees, but when you have girls, let's be honest, that <laughs> makes it seem a little more realistic. First of all, they're killing dudes. But if they're not getting too crazy with it, they're just killing them, and I don't know. That to me, that's realistic.
0: I, I do like the fact that Johnny Knoxville literally like his way of killing. Like the first guy he meets, like the guy runs outside or is barely escapes from like Val. I think he gets outside. He meets Pastor John. He thinks he's getting saved, and Pastor John's like, "Is there anybody else here that knows about this?" And the guy says something, basically letting him know that there's just him and this other guy. And Pastor John just pulls out a pistol and just point blank just puts him puts him away. So <laughs> I mean, you know, so that that's kind of not too bad. Yeah. So I mean, as far as a rating on it, I'm going to give it the uh, the Nicolas Cage "Bad Lieutenant" port of uh, call, New Orleans uh, treatment. Um, I, it it it's got some fun uh, characters in it, you know. Uh, uh, in this case, uh, you know, Alexander D'Addario and and Hassan, uh, Maddie Hassan, but uh, you know, and of course Johnny Knoxville. But just I think it kind of peters off near the end just because they kill those leads, whereas like at least Bad Lieutenant, you know, had the good sense to never really make Nicolas Cage ever suffer for any of the crimes he did during the movie. So you get to see him just ham it up the entire time. I would have liked to have seen him done the same thing in this one, just kind of let the the two, you know, charismatic actresses just kind of, you know, go to town, you know, have fun just killing these guys. So anyways, um that that's my review for that movie. <laughs>
1: I've never really wanted to watch a B movie as much as I want to watch that one. Actually, <laughs> hey, yeah, it's. I know you're not recommending it, super crazy, but yeah, I mean. <laughs> it's... I don't know
0: there there's parts to it that I would recommend, but it's just that it kind of drags a little bit when they're when they get to the concert. there's a little bit of, uh, the dialogue's kind of cheesy at that point point. and then it picks up again big time whenever you know the twist comes in. I love that twist. I think that's great, you know, especially given satanic panic and what we know about it in real life, the fact that they twist it around and actually make it toward the evangelicals were the one behind the killings i I love that whole idea. Yeah. It's just that, like I said, I really wish that they, they, they should have realized, hey, we these actresses are killing it, you know, literally. Uh, let's let them just, you know, have the fun. As, let them live. Yeah, let them live. Maybe give them an out toward the end of it. Maybe set up a sequel with them. I mean, they would have had a lot of ways to go. And uh, especially, you know, uh, and, and bringing Johnny Knoxville kind of helped save it a little bit, but I, I still would have liked to have seen those two actresses make it. But
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: To our main film for the evening uh, which of course is the the House of the Devil, uh, uh, written and directed by Ty West uh, released in uh, actually on October 30th 2009 so right in time for Halloween spooky season spooky season uh, the principal players we had for this film uh, the lead actress of course is Jocelyn Donahue who plays Samantha uh, she's the she is the main protagonist uh, she and she's actually been in several, horror films since then uh she was in one called "Trapped the devil i think uh trapped the devil which i think went dead awake which might have been previous to this but then she was also in insidious parts one and two Ooh. and more recently in, in the movie doctor sleep
1: hmm, okay
0: uh greta gerwig plays megan her best friend and uh she's actually a writer director producer and she's very commonly known for basically her, uh, one of her big, I think she won an Academy Award for this movie called Lady Bird. It's like more of a, I watched it just after the movie just kind of see what Greta's own like you know, her own dire- directorial you know like views were her spin was. I would rate Lady Bird as more of like if you I don't know if you ever saw the movie Napoleon Dynamite, but just imagine yes. a less a less goofball. Female version of that movie. That's kind of mm-hmm. what la- Lady Bird's like. It's it's okay. like this coming of age story about a girl in high school, and she's you know she's kind of weird, kind of like Napoleon is, but not quite to the extent. I mean, it's not played. It's a comedy, but it's not played as goofball comedy as is uh, you know Napoleon Dynamite was. Uh, we have. To- she's
1: got some audacity writing a story about my life. Is all I gotta <laughs> say. So it, it was- I'm gonna I'm gonna need some money for that. <laughs>
0: It was set in a. It, it is set in California, so I mean, and so there's that. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, the next uh, actor we have in the movie is Tom Noonan, who plays Mr. Ullman. Uh, he's the primary antagonist in this movie, and he's been in a ton of stuff. I mean, and he plays creepy characters in about everything I've ever seen him in. And a little thing about him is he's a method actor. So I don't know what he did on this set particularly because I didn't hear anything about that in the behind the scenes. But he was in the Monster Squad. He played Frankenstein in that mm-hmm. and uh, I love that oh. uh, great movie. And and that yeah. and in that film he would not associate with the kids outside of being in the makeup and in, in per, and you know in his persona. He didn't want the kids to associate him with being Tom Noonan, he wanted them to be, to associate him with Frankenstein. He's one of those weird acts so I can... Yeah,
1: but that sounds <laughs> hella fun for the kids.
0: It probably was, but i am just, I can, can you imagine Mr. Allman in this movie, the character he plays, like, how did he interact with anybody? I mean, that, that ugh, I, I don't even want to think about how it was trying to talk to the guy during yeah, the filming of this. he
1: stood out a lot in this film for me. Um, One of the people that I kind of like the most, because he gave me the creepiest vibes.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and you're probably... And might
1: I mention, he is morbidly tall.
0: He, he is massively. Either
1: that or... Yeah, because I was like, either... Because, okay, I don't know how tall Jocelyn Donahue is, <laughs> but she looks like she could be tall she almost looks like you I th- know i think I she I,
0: th- I think she is tall for a, for a lady and so like the, the 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 height discrepancy is is that much we'll get to that scene but that that scene where they first introduce yeah. him to her like they really play it up like big time some other movies he's been in oh wh- my god
1: she's only five four she's my height
0: <laughs> oh really i thought she was taller than that i'm sorry but anyways uh Other movies he's been in is Wolfen, that's another horror film he was in, uh, Manhunter, and one that I didn't recognize him from, but of course he was covered in so much prosthetics, but I've seen this movie so many times and I love it. it, is Last Action Hero. Do you know what character he played in that movie? No. There is an axe killer in that movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger has to fight as the main bad guy, the one that escapes from the movie at the end of the film, and that he has to take out in real life, and that is Tom Noonan that plays that character.
1: Don't judge me. I don't think I've seen Last, last Action Hero, but you should I've watch heard it. nothing but good things about that film. It's
0: it's really good. It's it's. I mean, it's it's. it's, a weird, it, it's I'm it's, so weird. It's cheesy, but it's it's good cheesy. Okay. Uh, we have Mary Warrenov who plays Mrs. Allman. Uh She's who is uh,
1: also morbidly tall.
0: She's she's as tall in this movie, I feel like, as as Tom Noonan, which is really weird. She, uh, of course, in the movie, plays the part of the satanic cult, and she could be the leader, because I kind of... We'll get into that about Tom Noonan, but I kind of feel like his character is more of a passive uh, evil, and I feel like she is the more direct, like, we got to do this, we got to do this. I think she's the one behind everything, but... um, She's been in several different things too. Night of the Comet. Uh, I love that film. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a ch- great cheesy '80s uh, zombie film, uh, and it's wow. and it's '80s through the teeth. Like um, Night of the what? Night of the Comet. Oh
1: my God. Yes, I have, but it's been a long time, and I I think I need to watch it again. It,
0: it is so '80s. It I mean, you, you'll be wearing acid-washed jeans before the movie's over with. I mean it. <laughs> and she, which by the
1: way, there was acid-washed jeans in this film. That there we watched. was. There was.
0: And she uh, plays one of the evil characters in that movie as well. There's like, they, they in one part of the movie, they get to the, like this military base and they think they're saved, but it, tur- uh, but it turns out that the people in the military base have been exposed and they're slowly turning oh, into shit. the, the ghoul like creatures that, you know, the zombies yes. or whatever. And so she's one of them that like tries to attack the girls, you know, the, the main pr- protagonist and tries to take them out. So. Anyway, she was in that. She was in Chopping Mall. Uh, she was in Rock and Roll High School. I think she played like the evil principal in that movie, uh, Death Race 2000. And uh, more recently, she played in The Devil's Rejects.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, she's been in a lot she's of... She's got a
1: good <laughs> scoreboard there. Yeah. Um. Also, for reference, if I might jump in here. Okay, so um, Tom Noonan is 6'5". And Mary Warnov is six foot. So with a good set of heels, she was just about the height as Tom Noonan. She
0: she was... Uh, I those mean, are some tall people. Yeah, they're very tall people. And it, and I think that it adds to the movie, too. We'll get into that. But I think that they're... Oh, it does. <laughs> seeing how tall and, uh, uh, you know, just oppressive they are, I mean, like, just, you know, it, that, it really adds. But anyways, uh, to round out the actors in the movie, we got A.J. Bowen, who plays Victor Ullman. Uh, he's, of course, the son of the two I call leads. him
1: Mysterious Bearded Man.
0: Uh, and he provides the scare in this movie. I'll get to that later, but uh, I legit have a scare in this movie, and it's because of this guy. And Okay. Uh, he played in Hatchet 1 and 2, You're Next, Chillerama, Dead Night, Trap the Devil with Jocelyn Donahue, so this is they actually worked together on wow. something else. And, believe it or not, he played in Satanic Panic, the film that we talked about on The Vivid. <laughs> <laughs> It all comes back. All
1: right, we're come we've come full so we've come full pentagram everybody.
0: Yep, um, and and uh, we have Heather Robb who plays the roommate. Uh, she's the basically the motivation for the entire plot because if you had a roommate like her, why wouldn't you want to get away from? Oh my
1: her? God. she was disgusting. <laughs> we'll get.
0: I'm going to bring that up. It, yeah, she really did a good job with this, but. She's played in other Ty West films. Uh, prior, there was a movie called The Roost that she done with him. Uh, she played in another movie called I Sell the Dead. And uh, she was in a lo- another little indie vampire movie called Stakeland. And that's actually a fairly good movie. It's kind of like a post-apocalyptic uh, vampire film uh, where it's like a, like a, it's not really a father and son, but it's like a father-son relationship. The two leads are, are basically traveling through uh, post-apocalyptic America and just you know vampires everywhere. So it's kind of a fun little indie mm-hmm. film. Um, okay okay and rounding out the movie we have d wallace uh who played the landlady and of course she was barely in this film um yes she only filmed literally for a day but uh she's been in the most things of probably anybody in this film uh she was in the howling she was the mother and the mother in et so a lot of people know her from that she was the mother in cujo and oh shit (laughs) everybody knows her from that
1: you just fucking blew my mind that was a great movie
0: she she was the quintessential 80s mother because she was also the mother in Critters which is another great little uh, (laughs) cheesy film oh
1: damn
0: Uh, she was in the original Hills Have Eyes Uh, she was in the slasher film Popcorn Uh, she was in the Frighteners she played the uh, evil uh, girlfriend to the to jake busey's character in that movie um she, oh my god she was in rob zombies halloween she was in rob zombies the lords Fuckin of
1: Fucking shit
0: the lords of salem and she was rounded all that out for and was in three from hell so d wallace is is basically a, a horror movie queen at this point like she's been yeah an,
1: <laughs> i was gonna i was wondering why you brought her up i was like she barely had a role <laughs> i did not recognize her I yeah. mean, she is a queen in my eyes now. She is a scream queen now because of Cujo. I mean, come on, you she they filmed days in a fucking car, yeah, and she made it amazing.
0: Yeah, she, I mean, really sold that movie, and I and, and really, I think that's the reason she was in it for a day. They were like, it, it, you know, being a small indie film like they were, the fact they got D Wallace, I'm I'm sure they were over the moon. They were like, oh my god, oh, yeah. you know, um so let's get get right into the movie we uh have to start out uh you know with the the opening splash screen saying how the film was based upon real events, complete <laughs> and total bullshit um it it might have been based on the satanic panic that we talked about, but nothing in this movie i mean it's the loosest interpretation you can say of a movie being based on real <laughs> events.
1: Yeah, because I mean, as far as I know, I've never heard of some. Well, I'm not, I don't even want to get into it because it'll spoiler alert it. But I, we'll get into it at the end of the film.
0: Yeah, but I just want to say that I love the fact they even they had balls to put that in front of the movie. I mean, it it's it's such bullshit. You have some
1: fucking audacity. Yeah, but
0: it's there. <laughs> Uh, we open up with the one scene that the landlady's in, the only scene that she filmed.
1: Yeah, uh, which I I immediately was like, she's a witch.
0: <laughs> which is funny because she's a witch. She she played a witch in Lords of Salem, so you're not wrong.
1: <laughs> I'm not wrong. You know, she had this intuition, and I'm like, mm, she's a witch.
0: <laughs> and uh, of course, they uh, the apartment that Samantha's buying happens to be right next to a large church. I mean, I thought that.
1: Yes. I saw that.
0: That that Ty West specifically, uh going in just a little bit of the behind the scenes on this, the the house, the interior that they filmed of the house was not the house that they filmed the exterior of because he he really wanted that scene next to the church because he wanted the contrast. He wanted the setup that, you know, she was going to be next to this peaceful church, you know, if she ever you got the house she wanted. But then of course the events of the movie happened and took her completely one eighty from the, you know, that type of setting. But uh, the house they actually filmed in, uh, you know, they had to go a different route because the, the house that was next to the church was a little too modern looking. So they had to find another home that looked more 80s appropriate, you know, like that late 70s, early 80s look.
1: Yeah. And they did good.
0: Yeah, and and he said that they got lucky too because he said the way and you you can notice this in the scene when you you watch it. Uh, there there's like there are three rooms back whenever they're like filming Samantha. Like they're I mean they just happen to have a home that's like so open that it was like you know they they could film three you know rooms away and then just kind of do which is another little uh, behind the scenes thing they did in this. They went old school on it. I mean you'll notice immediately because it's you know got that grainy sixteen millimeter film look that they they you know filmed yeah. in but they they did a different type of zoom in this movie too than they do now like in, back in the old days uh, the ones that that they're trying to you know reenact in this one basically they did what they call, uh, they just did camera zooms where they would just take the, the yeah. you know, the lens and zoom in. And you see that in that first scene where they, you know, are three rooms back and they zoom in on Samantha. But nowadays they just do a dolly zoom. They actually take the camera itself and just move it closer to the, you know, the actual, uh, whatever, you know, the actor or actress they're trying to film or the scene in particular. So, you you know, you kind of get that old zoom effect too uh, right, right at the beginning of the movie. You know, and the, and the homage to the '80s filmmaking, uh, of course, goes to that first synthesizer music intro that that starts out. Oh, jeez! And, and and you brought up something to me that I didn't even realize. Uh, go ahead and th- throw out there what you what you told me because I didn't even pick up on this.
1: I immediately knew this was a Kmart version of "Moving in Stereo" by The Cars. And I t- and it was so. I mean, it was just different enough that to the untrained ears, A.K.A. you and my husband. I had to actually tell my husband the bathing suit scene of when Phoebe Cates comes out of the water at fast in Fastmont or Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and then he knew what was going on. Yeah,
0: and when you said that, I, it clicked. I was like, wait a minute, because see, I was I put this in my notes whenever I made this up. I was like, this sounds very reminiscent of the '80s. I've heard this somewhere. I I wrote this down. I've heard this somewhere. I don't know what you know or something similar. And when you said that, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what it is. And you can put them side by side and you, and you can see the slight difference, but that's what it is. Um,
1: yeah. And w- it kind of makes me sad because throughout this film, they actually had a really good 80s soundtrack. They had some pretty good songs in here. That must have been a song they couldn't get their hands on or it was just too expensive for
0: their budget. Well, I actually read on YouTube after you mentioned that, uh, because somebody brought that up. Um Apparently, the cars uh, disallowed that song to be used for commercial use, like in around you know this time period that this movie was made. So I guess they had to go that route to even get it in there. I mean, just because the cars wouldn't okay, allow it. Okay, and that
1: makes sense. I mean, it was an awesome song. It would have been kind of cooler if they had her like doing her walk in slow
0: motion. I, I did. I, that's just me, okay? I, I did like the freeze frame. That was such a throwback yeah, to have the freeze frame. Yeah, that was so
1: fucking cheesy. And yes, it was perfect. And, I did, at this point, though, I hadn't quite even caught on that it was 80s. I actually had to be told by the hubs and I'm like, "Oh, fuck, it is the 80s." <laughs> uh and,
0: and also a lot of people are giving them shit over this. Uh, a lot of people are like, "Yeah, but that font that they used at the for the intro was uh, totally 70s." But I'm like, "Yeah, but the early 80s had 70s, you know, holdovers. It's it's perfect yeah, that they exactly. had it's perfect that they had that like late 70s like, you know, font like from a sitcom or something, you know, kind of splashing up there." So I, I don't know. I just I love the intro because it just it sets the tone for what the movie's going to be set in, basically. Um, yeah. And and going off the back of that, uh, all the clothing in the movie, the sets, the, it's the best they could. The props, they were almost completely for the time from the time period. Um, they, yes, they,
1: they did actually really really well with that.
0: They actually went on eBay to buy the Coca-Cola cups that were used in the pizza place scene later on with Greta and, you know, and... and I'm glad Donna you Hugh. said
1: something because I was looking at that and I was like, that is as retro as you can fucking get.
0: Yeah, they, they got lucky and they I mean, found those other than that,
1: Other than using the red, you know, plastic tumbler cups that you get at the typical pizza places, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought they could have went that route, but yeah, they, uh, they chose the most 80s looking pizza place they could find in that entire state where they filmed that. I believe it was Connecticut or something like that. And they and and because the cups were slightly off, they went on eBay and got those. And and there's a little bit oh, more wow. that they did later on to kind of and I'll get into that. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of cool that you know they kind of they tried to stay so close. The only thing that threw me. Was later on there's a scene where Samantha is talking on a phone in the dorm, and it's one of those clear, uh, you know, uh, corded phones or whatever. And I, I kind of felt like for the mm-hmm. early early 80s they might have had those available, but I, I felt like that was more of a late 80s thing. But you know that meant you know that's only... I thought that was a
1: 90s honestly, so and, I'm with you.
0: Yeah, so I, that's the only thing that threw me off. I'm like eh, the clear phones kind of a you know, but that's the only thing that kind of I thought was out of sorts for the movie. Um. The basic plot line is that she's uh, Samantha, and it starts out with a landlady. She, you know, kind of explains it. she's just desperate to get away from her shitty roommate. Like she lives in a horrible dorm. I mean, and we'll get into that. That dorm was nasty, but uh,
1: it was nasty and depressing.
0: And and her roommate, we're not slut shaming, but she was a slut and a slob, and uh, didn't really care for Samantha's uh, private space at all. So I mean, I can see why oh, no. why she was trying to get away from it. So the gist of this movie is literally she's trying to get this apartment. Uh, the landlady gives her deals like, listen, I'll cut all the other expenses, but you got to pay me the first month's rent up, up front. And uh, so she takes this uh, weird babysitting job uh, to try to get enough money to, before, you know, she loses the apartment. And that's the simple, you know, setup for this whole entire movie. Um,
1: Which, can we talk real quick Maybe we should honestly wait until we get to the point where she negotiates her fees because that <laughs> apartment was probably cheap—not cheap, but right around the price range for the time. It was what three hundred dollars is what I saw in the ad.
0: Right. Yeah. Yep. That- Can we
1: talk about her negotiations about how much she got paid for the babysitting job? Do we want to wait for that?
0: <laughs> what are you talking about the six hundred dollars that she? I think it was around five or six hundred that she got out of, the, of Tom. Noonan's it was four hundred. <laughs> is that all she got out she of? She negotiated. I thought she uh, held out even longer and she got another extra 5 or another 100 on top of that. Well,
1: okay. So, it was we should probably, you know what? Let's let's put a pin in that and let's talk about it when we get to that scene because I okay. know we're going to get to that scene. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're going to discuss that scene, so that's fine.
1: So, let's just for everyone out there just remember, <laughs> she's getting an apartment for $300 a month. This is the 80s. <laughs>
0: They establish really early in the next scene why she's trying to get away from this dormitory. Uh, Her roommates got her locked out uh, because she's fucking some new rando. Sock on the door. Sock on the door. She's fucking some new rando that she's never met before. Um, uh, Later on. they they add on to this whole thing uh, uh, when they show Samantha at her wits end. She's in the bathroom crying. I swear, whenever it pans past like the shower in in the bathroom, there's like mold growing in like the bottom of the shower. That's what it looked like to me. It was like the most disgusting looking bathroom I've ever seen, even in a in a dorm room. So I was just like, okay. <laughs>
1: it's- Funny that I didn't catch that because I was specifically looking for gross, um, I don't know, little things here and there, little details that I would catch. And I don't recall seeing that, but I was expecting to see that. So the fact that you've said it, I believe you.
0: Um, it, it's And the dorm room itself, uh, of course, is, there's a little bit behind the scenes on that. It looks really uh, fairly worn down and grubby. But the funny thing is, is that it's actually part of the house. They filmed that later in the film. Um, and it was the, up, oh, wow. uh, the upstairs portion that they used. Uh, and I think maybe even that, <laughs> the, you know. And so I don't know if this is a curse for the film because it really don't have much of one. But if it does, it's this. That, that that house was infested with ladybugs. And if you look at certain parts of this movie <laughs> wow. and the scenes where Samantha's laying on the bed, you know, in her dorm room, you can see the ladybugs on the wall. <laughs> so. No, thank you. So it kind of adds to the fact that her dorm room is just a, a horrible mess, and you know, there's no reason why she should stay there. And I got to bring this up I mean, it comes a little bit later in the film, uh, whenever she gets the uh, is asking about the phone call, but that scene where her roommate wakes up, blows her nose, and then wipes her hair with it. Oh my god. <laughs> It just I'm just like, okay, I, I know why you're trying to get away from this girl now. Okay, that's fine.
1: the The actress that played the roommate, she was so good because even when she finally kind of like you get a talking scene with her, she comes off like a slob. She talks like a lazy slob. Yeah. She moves like a lazy slob. Um, uh, her memory and how she is going on with her life is just sloth like. Yeah. So, yeah, she's just... kudos, because she didn't have a big scene, but, man, did she sell
0: it. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, kudos to her, because she is the uh, inciting, you know, incident, I think, it's like they, what they they like to call it whenever, you know, you give the protagonist the drama they need to, you know, uh, you know go on with the rest of the, the film or the story, and she's definitely it, and she does a good job of providing that inciting incident, because I, I don't know anybody who wouldn't want to get away from her, but... Uh, apparently, Horando did because he was out of there like lightning. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So, um, so Samantha, when she gets locked out, she uh, leaves there and on her way past this billboard, sees there's a you know help wanted sign for a babysitter. Really kind of creepy though when you look at it because there's nothing really on it. It's very plain. There's no details, just like babysitter with a dollar sign and it's got a phone number, you know, with those little pull tabs at the bottom. Yeah,
1: babysitter, dollar sign, phone number. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the next scene where she, she finds a payphone, and, you know, a lot of kids nowadays probably don't even know what those things are, but she finds one on campus because it's the 80s. And she calls the guy and he's and it's Tom Noonan and, and man, he just right from the get go, just even his voice is kinda creepy. It's just like he's got this weird like I mean, for a guy as big as he is and as imposing as he looks later on in the film, he's got this really like soft voice. And it's just kinda Yes, uh, it's, he does. And it's really it's really at odds with his character and makes him just that more much more creepy in the long run. But like he and so she's asking him about the the thing and he's like, Well, you know, um, he basically tells her. I mean, during the phone call, he's like, "Well, hey, I need to do this immediately. Can I just meet you wherever?" And she's like, "Uh, okay." Uh, he said, I'll, He said, "You know." And he's like, "I." Well, she actually she calls the number. This is the creepy part. She calls the number, doesn't get an answer. She walks away from the payphone, and for some reason, he calls it back. He doesn't call the number she gave back. He calls the payphone back, and that's like the first sign that something weird yeah, is up is, in this um, movie.
1: Yeah, I found that to be oddly predictable, though. Yeah. Like, I was calling so much stuff at the beginning of this film.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, anyways, he's like, well, you know, don't leave, you know, stay wherever, I'll meet you, you know. And, of course, there's this nice little scene, where I think it's kind of enjoyable, where she's kind of just laying there, bored out of her mind on the steps to, like, this student affairs office. and. Uh, the, the, a little bit behind the scenes, that scene where she gets up at the end of it, like whenever she's finally decided he's not going to show up, and she like drops her Walkman on the, the pavement, that actually was like a real thing. She dropped it, and they were just like, nah, keep it in. That looks natural. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyways, they uh, that's whenever she goes back to the dorm, finds out a roommate who drowsily, like you said, just barely even like moving her lips, is like, yeah, you go to phone call, and it's like what? And it's like, yeah, I think and she didn't
1: I, even give a shit. She's like, uh, the number's here somewhere. Yeah, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, it's
0: like somewhere over there. I don't know, man. You know, it's like whatever. And like so, uh, but Samantha does find it, and 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 this is actually one of those things where. The roommate could have saved her in a way. Well, actually there's like two points in this movie where Samantha Samantha could have just said, Fuck it at the scene where like he didn't show up. But then, you know yeah. and then this next scene where the roommate kinda lost the thing, she could have just said, Fuck it, you know, like it you know, I guess I'm not doing this. But she's just so desperate for the money that like she searches and searches and she finds it and it's kinda like the thing that kind of damns her in the movie, the fact that she goes you know the greed dams her like she uh, you know fi- she has to find this number and she gives him a call back despite the fact that she had two outs already and and neither one of them took so um, and of course he calls her back this you know creepy you know nice passive voice that he has and apologizes and says there was a previous candidate but they didn't work out and this has me interested because they never actually show in the movie like what happened to the other candidate and i'm sure they didn't let the girl leave uh, so I'm wondering. I don't. There's. This is a spoiler for later on in the movie. But the scene where they have the shaved hair in the in the bathtub that uh, Mrs. Ullman apparently makes mm-hmm. her wig out of. Do you think that's from the girl that they interviewed in the morning that didn't work out for uh, for them?
1: Quite possibly. But I have another spoiler. There was a scene where behind the door there was a number of. I don't know sacrifices. Is that a good way to put it? Oh
0: yeah, that's the the family that was previously living there.
1: Okay, I just didn't know if if that if that person was in there or not. I, I didn't put it together. so I
0: don't remember seeing them because I thought I saw like a man and a woman and a child in that scene and of course the child's the one that's in the middle of the Pentagram, so that's even worse. But um, but I'm pretty sure that the hair I didn't I think the woman still has her hair in that scene, so that just makes me wonder if the hair that, that was shaved in the bathtub was from the, the girl that they interviewed in the morning but didn't quote unquote work out
1: it's possible I mean that's a good that's a good catch right there because I didn't put two and two together I obviously knew as she takes off her hair piece later you know uh, that she doesn't have hair so hmm okay
0: yeah um, and I just want to go ahead and contrast right now, like Tom Noonan's character from like Roman cast of Ed, if we're going to like start making the comparisons, Rosemary's baby. Uh, first of all, there's the direct comparison because, you know, Rosemary's baby starts out with, you know, Rosemary and her, and her husband, you know, looking for the, uh, the perfect apartment. And of course, this movie starts out with, you know, Jocelyn, you know, or Samantha looking for her perfect apartment. So there's that kind of parallel, mm-hmm. but Tom Noonan's Mr. Ullman is like a complete odds with uh, if you if you you know if he's the Roman cast of, Ed of this movie because Roman's like one of those like charismatic like you know can sit down and talk to you about anything type guys and you never think that he's really you know in the back of your mind he's the bad guy whereas Tom Noonan from his physical appearance to his weird you know like. Uh, you know, super nice voice that's, or you know, passive voice that's out of his body. He's like the total opposite. Like you never trust him at all. I don't. I mean, just from the looks at him.
1: Okay, are you are you saying you don't trust Tom Tom Noonan at all?
0: No, from his his character in the movie, just like the way that you know, like well, he, yeah, he comes I... off. It's like it's like he's the complete opposite of Roman. Like he, you know, he's like anti charisma. Yeah. It's like well, those guys. It's like, oh my god, you know, like what what the you know, he's what you would picture as. A, I
1: actually. On the contrary, I disagree with you. I did not like Roman. He had a, a devious look to him, in my opinion. Whereas, you know, Tom Newman Noonan's character, I mean, he's tall and he had a very gentle demeanor in his movements. He was very respectful of her, her bubble, that, her uh, private that space. Is you know? That is true. That is true. And the way he talked to her, and he apologized. He, you know, he was like, "I'm so sorry if I if I put you off," and it, it, he was very gentle. So I honestly, th- look at he's he's gonna catch me, is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that's how it worked out. Maybe uh, that's why he was able to convince her. And whereas, like. And maybe that's, I mean, maybe that's a, you know, a good contrast in the movies because Roman didn't, I mean, Rosemary was put off by Roman, but it was her husband that was, you know, so maybe it's the, it's the male thing. Like the the guy who can sit down and bullshit with you, you know, like can pull in the males, but it's like that timid, you know, like I know I'm tall, but I'm I'm a really nice guy, you know, that sort of, you know, Tom, maybe that's like, you know, more inviting, uh, from a feminine perspective, I guess. Maybe maybe there's some, you know, absolutely. Maybe there's something to that, but you know, it's just it's a, it's an odd contrast between the two characters. I mean, they're like night and day. Uh, He's you know. a gentle giant. <laughs> Except there's one scene that we'll get into later that he kind of shows a little bit of aggression, and that's that's uh, kind of you know hints that there's a little bit more underneath the surface. But we'll get to that. Um, so right after this scene where he talks to you know uh, talks to her, uh, Samantha meets up with Megan, and that's whenever they have the the scene at the pizza place. And I kind of just love that scene because, like, uh, Greta Gerwig's character is, like, just kind of a tomboyish, like, she doesn't give a shit about anything. She's just chomping on that pizza, has that look like, man, this pizza's, you know, so shitty. But then she she continues eating it. I just love that. (laughs) Yeah. um, Which is,
1: I mean... There's another scene, okay, talking about the pizza. She eats the pizza, and she specifically says this pizza tastes weird.
0: Yes, yes. I
1: believe that's the exact dialect. And later on, we have another scene where she's eating the pizza, and it tastes funny. I don't know why that stood out to me, but those two pizza scenes, it's like the pizza in this movie was horrible pizza.
0: Well, the I'll get to the one later, but I think that's a direct contrast to Rosemary's Baby again, and we'll get to why I think that is. But, um uh the one later in the movie I, yeah <laughs> well not tannis but something else yeah um okay so anyways so uh she that's whenever you know so she confides in Megan that you know uh she you know what she's doing and and, and Megan's kind of the doom prophet in this movie. I, I know we brought it up, you know, in the Rosemary's Baby, you know, with Hutch or whatever, but Megan's definitely the one in this. She's the one that's like, you know, Samantha, are you sure you want to do this? This is this guy's all kinds of weird. He st- stood you up. Just, you know, let it go. And and she provides like the third out for Samantha. She's like the one trying to talk her back over. The, it's like, you can get the money some other way. Don't do this. It's weird. He's like way out in the middle of nowhere. Don't, you know, don't go out that, that direction. And Again, Samantha, yeah. you know, kind of begs to, you know, get in the situation she's in. She's like, I got to have it. I got to have the money. You know how bad things are. So I think this is like the third and final, you know, if you want to go with a biblical reference, the, the rooster you know, crowed three times. I think this was the final one that like done her in. Like she had the one last, you know, this like her friend trying to convince her to not do it. Um, And of course, they had.
1: But I need the money. <laughs> give
0: me that money. <laughs> um. And then they have the scene where they're driving out to the house and then there's like a, there's a great song on the radio during this whole scene. It's a, it's a, you know, definitely a nice 80s song that they've got like, and that's probably, it was the one uh, a song that they could pay for, I think, and it was within their budget that was playing during this scene and um i think it was kind of neat too they kind of showed behind the scenes how they did this that that car they the the director was literally in the back seat filming it with a handheld it wasn't like a cutaway there wasn't any green screen they didn't have the budget for that it was it was a real car they were really going down the road they had like this huge truck that looked like a garbage truck or something like that with these huge big panel lights on both sides of it shining down on the car to kind of make it look like the car was you know uh uh, the headlights or whatever were, you know, were kind of reflecting off the car a little oh, bit. Oh, okay. And so, and that, that truck was pulling them along. That's genius. You know, as they were like filming the scene. So they weren't actually driving, but they were actually moving because the truck was pulling them. So I thought that was kind of neat.
1: Okay. <laughs> That's kind of cool, actually.
0: And then we get to the scene that you were referencing earlier, uh, when they meet Mr. Ullman. I, 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 this movie, th- this <laughs> scene's great for me because the decision that they that that Ty West had to frame it perfectly on Samantha and, you know, and, and Meg and Megan and, and like, you know, and, and Tom Noonan's character, Mr. Ullman's like, just, he's out of frame. You can't even see his head whenever he opens the door. <laughs> yeah. And it really establishes like that, you know, like just that giant, you know, uh, posing figure that, you know, he, that he, he is in real life actually. Then um, even though it shows he's that big hulking odd, you know, guy, just like you said, whenever he talks, he's, he's like really timid. Like he's really like, I mean, he backs, I mean, he backs back from, you know, Samantha when he sees that she's a little flighty in the next scene, whenever he's telling her about the, the situation, now it's really not a babysitting job. It's more of like an adult sitter job. And, and he realizes that's kind of a lie, but you know, hear him out and that sort of thing. Um, and, There's another little scene that Megan has right after, right around this time that I like where she's eating a candy. I don't know if you remember that scene. She's just chomping on it. (laughs) You
1: know what? I'm going to throw it out right now because it's literally the whole film, but this kind of really put it out there. I don't know if you got this, but I sure did. This movie was very much about sounds. They emphasized a lot of noises. And I'll give you some examples. The candy, obviously.
0: Oh, yeah, like the way
1: she's chomping on it, the way she's chewing on it, um, the biting of the pizza, uh, the noise that's coming from the sink. uh, When she has those candy wrappers, she always seems to have a candy in her bag from when she's in the room with her roommate, the dorm room. She's opening it. And I mean, they really just emphasize the noise of that wrapper. And then the same thing when she's in the house and she opens it up again, opens up another one. I I don't know. I got a lot of noise from this movie. Well, more I, than I th- you, the typical movie.
0: I think if you go back and watch it, I think the reason that that happens, they did the 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 drain in particular. They wanted—I don't know why—Ty West wanted to emphasize that, but he he particularly, in even in the behind the scenes, was mentioning that drain, like he wanted people to hear like the weird way it gurgled yeah. and all that. Uh, but I think that the reason that the movie at least to me, was it kind of has a lack of score. Like, when you're watching the movie, there's only certain scenes that are punctuated with actual music. The rest of it is basically, I mean, it's more of a realistic, like, ambient sound that you're hearing uh, yes, as opposed to, exactly. you know, any kind of, like, background music. And I, and I think that's why And I do like
1: that in about. a horror film
0: it it definitely adds to it i mean it it makes the it makes it feel less theatrical and more real if if you can you know think of it that way i mean it's you know unrealistic situation maybe i don't know this one's more realistic than you know like you said a slasher movie or something like that but um it still has that i mean
1: i think that oh go ahead
0: No, I was just going to say, I mean, if we get to a movie like The Omen, like, you know, we're going to bring up, you know, later, it has way more of a theatrical feel just because you've got that Gregorian chant going in the background. It's got that movie feel to it, whereas this one has more of like, this almost has a snuff film, you know, like vibe to it part. So that's...
1: (laughs) I think it adds to it because she's in this, I don't know, this small, it looks like she's in a small town. Okay, everything has got the small-town vibe. It's the 80s. It's not like there's all this cinema everywhere or all this media everywhere. You don't have cell phones. I mean, her Walkman was as big as two huge bricks, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, So I think it kind of sells it, and it's a horror film. So, like, okay, of all the noises you have, she has her Walkman. She has... You know, and she has the TV. Those are the only media noises she can technically have. Other than that, you're out in the middle of BFE. You're going to get wood noises. You're going to get serial killer noises. You're going to get weird lady upstairs noises.
0: You, and you, <laughs> Old creaky house noises. And you brought up something that I didn't even think about till right now, and I'm glad you brought that up. Legitimately, the only time you get really, uh, the only time in this movie that you get like a soundtrack uh, you know, theme or some kind of music playing is, is that's not from like a source in the movie, like say the Walkman or the car radio. Is legitimately that that intro scene where she's like, you know, you got that, you know, the cars, you know, moving in stereo. Yeah, that that, that <laughs> is the only time in the movie that you don't have like the actual music coming from a natural source, like you know that that's explainable exactly. inside the film. Um, but. She, you're right, I was looking at this, I did have it in my notes, she does hold out for the $400, so you're, you're right, it was $400 is what she negotiated up to, uh, using his desperation in this scene, whenever he's doing the interview. <laughs> I, yeah,
1: which is, $400 in the 80s is a lot of fucking money.
0: For one night, yes, that's that's quite a bit.
1: Like, girl, you might, like, you're gonna make that kind of money off of babysitting, you might want to try prostitution. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And it's at this point in the movie where, like, you know, Megan's, uh, you you can tell in this scene too. I, I like that where Tom Noonan he sees Megan there, and you can tell just by his physical appearance, he does a good job emoting this. He sees her as a threat, like to their plan, because he's just kind of like, I mean, he of course he gets uh, Samantha off in you know with another room and talks to her about you know what he's planning. But he but it, when he it, the first thing he asks her is like, she's not staying, right? You know, like he wants to make sure that oh, yeah. that, that that you know. But he also emotes it really well because when he first sees her he's like oh shit i wasn't expecting like two people to show up um
1: and he was very respectful he was like nice to meet you both of you
0: yeah yeah and, and when he's in there he's like i'm really sorry you kept apologizing he's like i know this wasn't the job you signed up for but we knew if we didn't if we if we put it was elderly care nobody would sign up because you know people are only willing to do babysitting jobs i mean he's really uh you know he, he sells the timid part of it um, the only thing, very well. the only thing that, that kind of sticks out for me that kind of sells or, you know, kind of hints that he's got something else going on or there's a little bit more under the surface for him is that whenever she, you know, she kind of, you know, when she's holding out for the $400, his desperation comes out and he, and he almost snaps. Like you can see it, he pulls yes. it back, but it's, it's so intense and it's so there that like it, you're like, Okay. He, this guy is, I mean, there's. he's not just a timid, you know, gentle giant. He, he's capable of something else if, if he's driven to that point. The next scene in the movie, though, is the one that actually got me. And I, and I think it's a legit good scare just outright. And that's a scene in the cemetery when Megan leaves. I don't know what you thought about that mm-hmm. scene. But when she's sitting there, uh, she's pulled off the road. She's decided she's going to wait for Samantha. She doesn't trust anything that's going on. And she's fumbling around. Uh, her cigarette lighter's not working, so she's waiting for the one in the car to kind of heat up. And then all of a sudden, this hand shoots through the window, and, and you know, and flicks a lighter. I mean, I legit jumped, and it and it got me. I mean, I because it, it's out of nowhere. There's nobody around her whenever she parks that car. Um, and yeah, and she brings it up
1: too. Um, she's like, "Where the fuck did you come from?" I. It didn't scare me because I don't know why I expected it.
0: <laughs> it. I
1: expected it. I was, yeah.
0: I was going to, I'm just going to put this way. I've seen this movie before and it was upon rewatching it that (laughs) it still got me to jump. I'm like, that's a damn good scare. I'm going to give them credit for it. And it's not just that, it's the scene afterward because whenever she's talking to the guy and she, you know, and I I think Greta Gerwig's doing a great job playing Megan at this point because she's got, you know, she's got that credulous, like, where the fuck did you come from? I'm not trusting anything you say. And then the guy, you know, and, and, and the character, you know, uh, the male characters, the the mysterious guys. You mentioned him. He's kind of like uh, what
1: mysterious bearded man, mysterious
0: bearded man. He's like, uh, "Are you not the babysitter?" And whenever she says no, and instantly, like, bam, you know, the gun goes off. That kind of gave me a jar too, even though I was expecting that. But that scene is so brutal and so just like yes. instant. I mean, it really sells brutal and
1: cold, man.
0: It really sells like the uh, the danger in the movie for at least the main character because I mean it comes out of nowhere it's just like bam you know and 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 there's this whole scene where just like her head explodes into the side of the car and yep a little funny thing about that was um the guy the guy who uh, apparently owned the car or decided to, to buy the car, didn't wasn't aware that they were going to film that scene like that. And they, they told him, they's like, are you sure you want to lend us this car? Because we're not going to give it back to you the way it was. And he's like, yeah, fine, whatever. He's like a friend of the, the director. And they said that they think that car still has like, you know, whatever the sup, red substance they used, you oh know, my God. Uh, somewhere on the dashboard because they got it all over the place. Like, because when they first went to do the scene, uh, they overfilled the dummy's head with whatever the, the explosive was, and they said it went way worse than, or way more of an explosion than they, <laughs> even they anticipated.
1: That is fucking awesome. <laughs> so, I want to say something before we move on from this scene, though, it, um is that one of my favorite parts of this scene was, you know, he's out there, he's trying to light her cigarette, and he's like, it is freezing out here and she looks at him and she's like and <laughs> like <laughs> what the fuck do you want me to do about it like she was gonna invite him in the car or something and the look on his face like i will end you
0: <laughs> i well i just love her response because that's that's so great it's like and what what do you want me to do about yeah. it i mean you're some creepy bearded guy that just came up out of nowhere Uh creepy
1: I, mysterious bearded man what are you doing out here anyways that was my question like well you're out here in the cold why don't you fucking being <laughs> a weirdo
0: Two things about that. First of all, as cold as it looked in that scene, actually the coldest they had filming this was in the beginning intro scene where they had you know the, the, the music moving in stereo playing. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. scene where Samantha, they follow her through this little tunnel area. They said between the wind blowing through there and how dark it was inside that tunnel they said that they were everybody was just so frigid that they almost got hypothermia from that scene it was just that bad oh, wow. even it was like the middle of the day but it was still they said the wind it was just like a wind tunnel because of how it attracted the wind through there so i thought that was kind of a an odd you know little thing that they mentioned but getting back to this scene in particular this scene pretty much sells this movie for me because I everything about this scene I love I love the uh, how the effects they had on her character whenever you know her, you know basically her head exploded uh, from the gun uh, how brutal it was how quick it was I mean this is the part of the movie that, that stands out for me is like the pinnacle of the film I mean there's other good stuff later on but uh, there's a part we're going to get to in a minute that kind of ruins the movie for me a little bit and if it wasn't for this scene right here that kind of amps things up I don't think that I would have enjoyed the movie as much as I did. 'Cause whenever we the the part that I'm talking about in particular is after we get back it shows some scenes where Samantha's, you know, meeting with Mr. Ullman some more and and he and of course she meets Mrs. Ullman and Mrs. Ullman gives this creepy, like, almost motherly vibe that's you know, but but there's there's something sinister about her too, you know. You can kind of tell. Yeah. And then they set up the scene where they're like, "Oh yeah, and there's some there's some money that we've you know kind of taped on a you know over there to get you a pizza. Make sure you call the pizza delivery place that we left a number for. Yes. You know,
1: that specific pizza place. I know how you college kids like pizza. Don't forget to call that pizza place.
0: Don't forget. And uh, so there's that little bit of foreshadowing that's really nice. I th- I like how they set that up. But then it gets to the part of the film that just outright kills me and it's the slow burn part of the film. There is so many scenes oh, after this where little. like Samantha is just kind of passively like investigating the house out of boredom. She, you know, the scene I did like was where she puts on the the Walkman and is kind of like dancing around because A it was improvised and I thought it was kind of cute, you know, what she came up with as far as her dance and everything because that wasn't in the script. That was all her. That was all Jocelyn Donahue. Yeah. But that scene is just a more of her investigating the house after you've watched her do that for like 10 or 15 minutes at that point it's like it's a redundant you know like i if they wanted the scene with her just kind of you know playfully bouncing through the house and kind of investigating i wished he would have cut out like 10 or 15 minutes of the lead-in before that and just had the dancing of scene. the
1: previous yeah well i feel like after the dancing scene i mean yes yeah, she starts she starts picking up on little clues here and there and some of them kind of made sense, but for the most part, she starts really creeping herself out. And I just wasn't picking up on what she was creeping herself out with so much, aside from a few noises here and there.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some people I've seen that made the comment, too, that they they felt like the, her conclusion that she drew from like the the pictures that she found in the garbage bags... Uh, of course, there, uh, to get to that, there's a scene where she, when she's dancing, she knocks over a vase, and you know, and then she's like. Okay, so I need to clean this up, and she tries and she finds some cleaning stuff in in a like a little linen closet. But inside that linen closet, there's like a you know garbage bag, and she investigates, and there's like pictures of a, a totally different family mm-hmm. that that owns the house, and and a lot of people. I've seen people on the internet make the comment like that's a little quick for her to judge that that was you know necessarily the people who lived there before. Like it, you know it. So. I don't know, I mean, I, I feel it was fine, but at the same time, if if they would have taken some of those slow burn scenes prior to that... Kind of deleted those, or kind of filtered some of that out, and kind of gave more of a connection between her suspicions and and here's what my opinion was, and this is like you know armchair quarterbacking all the way. If they would have just had some scenes, <laughs> if they would have had some scenes where somebody somewhere was kind of spying on her in the background that she didn't see but the audience could see, that would have sold me on like these. Like
1: mysterious bearded man, yeah. even him.
0: If he would have been there, I know it would have been quick. Or if Tom Noonan, who supposedly left, was somehow like kind of. Just in the background, pull like an insidious or something like that, and have just something in the background that only the audience sees and not the yeah. you know not the your protagonist. So you know the threat's there. That would have sold me so much on these like slow scenes. But otherwise, I mean, but in the well, they had
1: the perfect opportunity when she finally got the pizza, and we'll have to talk about the getting the pizza scene. But she's sitting down on the couch eating pizza, and you can see they pan. There's a window behind her, and nothing now you and i the audience kind of knows that there is you know that we're a mysterious bearded man is around there but they don't even fucking show him it would have been that would have been a perfect scene to have him kind of just peeping through the window
0: yeah and then they i mean they fade into all this by having the the scenes where she turns on the tv for a bit and I appreciate the scene where that she's watching the T V because it gives you a little bit more about the you know, the there's a potential satanic cold out there. It kinda of feeds that into the background. Oh, yeah. And it, it talks about something we've not even mentioned. There's an eclipse going on this night that they're, you know, doing all this. Oh, so yeah. I mean total
1: lunar eclipse. So
0: I'm glad that they have that scene in the movie, but uh, you know, and and But they, you know, that was the only thing that I really got out of any of those scenes where she was kind of just, you know, meandering around the house. And I still don't know because I kept looking and he never revealed it in the behind the scenes. There's like a scene where she goes and she, and it focuses on the drain and you hear that gurgling sound and like it. I, I never really felt like it paid off. Like, I, uh, he was like, I mean, if you listen mm-hmm. to Ty West, he's like, oh, yeah, I really wanted to, you know, that scene to linger. And I'm just like, why? it didn't sell anything to me. There wasn't anything in the scene. Yeah, what was, I mean. She
1: was drinking water, and it was like, are we alluding that there, maybe there's something on the pizza? Because, again, she eats this pizza. This is the second scene I'm talking about. And she notices it tastes weird, so she spits it out. And then she starts drinking this water, and there was weird noises from the water. So I couldn't put together of uh, we find out later that perhaps something did happen. Maybe she was drugged, and you don't know if it was the tannis covered pizza or—well,
0: <laughs> joking I, I, by the way—or well, if well, there
1: was something in the water.
0: Well, I, I put it in my notes that it reminded me. It was it's very reminiscent of the chocolate mouse scene, you know, from Rosemary's Baby. Chocolate mouse, <laughs> ugh. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but it's literally like, okay, you know, of course the guy she calls on the phone when she orders the pizza is, is mysterious spirited, man. You could tell by the voice that it's him. And, uh, they threw in this like little nod to another movie or whatever, because, uh, called Lover Boy or something like that. Because whenever he, uh, he asked her, would you like anchovies on that? There's apparently that I've never watched the movie Lover Boy, but they said that in that movie, uh, basically the main character, which I think might, I, and I could be wrong about this, but I think the main actor is the one who plays uh, in, in Grey's Anatomy, you know, the the one that everybody... Yes, it is. And and so... And, and, God,
1: why can't I think of his name? Dr. Dreamy.
0: Yeah, and McDreamy or whatever. And they... And, and in that movie, whenever the code word is, when you ask for anchovies, you're asking for sex. So that's kind of what they were hinting at in the movie whenever the you know mysterious bearded man was like, would you like anchovies on that? It was like, basically, do you want to fuck? You know, kind of like a oh, throwback God. to that movie. Patrick Dempsey. Yes, yes. That's 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 the actor's name.
1: Oh, Jesus. But yeah, that's still, that's a good, for, for anyone who's seen that, that actually is a good throwback, considering we are in an 80s era film.
0: <laughs> it, it, it was a nice little throwback that they put in there. And I did like some of the scenes once they once Once we get past all this, once she eats the horrible tasting pizza, which again was covered in, you know, whatever drug they decided to drug her with, which is reminiscent of Rosemary's baby when she gets drugged right before the, the rape scene. There was a lot of good scenes at this point in the movie where she's like investigating and she, you know, she barely misses the family that's, you know, been, you know, sacrificed and that we talked about previously. She, uh, she does see the tub with a hair in it and that kind of throws her off. Um, But, and and it's around this time, though, that the movie starts ramping up again. And it's, and, you know, because you have the lunar eclipse showing that it's going into full effect at this point. Uh, The light bulb that she tries to pull when she gets to the top of the steps near the attic or whatever just goes completely out, covering everything in darkness. And then the drugs kick in and she's out. And when she wakes up, she's, uh, you know, in some kind of area. I I think the basement at this point, uh, she's tied up on a pentagram, Uh, There's some, I said some weird elephant man. Which was an
1: actual pentagram. I want to point that out because a lot of people use a pinnacle and there is a very vast difference between the two. Oh,
0: uh, by the way, uh, behind the scenes on this, they actually did like legit, like, you know, uh, go through the trouble of like getting some carpet and stuff like that and painting that on there so that they would there or actually for the scene upstairs where they had the dead kid or whatever they they, they went through mm-hmm. i don't they they, they had to the cover the you know obviously they didn't want to destroy the house they were in so they went and got all this carpet or whatever and like painted the pentagram on there like painstakingly like in the video like they were sitting there it's like okay we got to do this we got to make sure we get it right it was kind of funny you know just kind of watching them go through there and give so much detail to this thing that that especially in the movie like you barely see that scene like when she's opening the door up to that pentagram but um and yeah and another little thing they did was painstaking, and just before I, I forget about it, uh, those scenes where they were in the living room. Uh, there's a there's this old. 80s looking wallpaper that's on all the walls. They put that on there themselves. They had to go back in there and take that off because they said that that particular room in the house was too modern looking. So they put that wallpaper up. It, somehow it was like a temporary wallpaper, and they, it showed like a, you know in the behind the scenes of them having to go and painstakingly take it back off. You know, I, I just think that would just been an awful job for anybody to have. Honestly, you know, it's like okay, let's take down this wallpaper <laughs> we had to put up for this one scene. But, and that
1: wallpaper looked kind of not terrible, but I mean, it was a cool wallpaper, but especially for the time. But I'm like, it it, it looked like an old I don't know, it looked like an old house, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true. And but anyways, this point in the movie where she's at, like she's she wakes up in, you know inside you, like you said, a legit pentagram. Uh, there's some weird elephant man woman the elephant man faced woman that's conducting the ritual i don't know i don't know if it she, was mother uh, uh, yeah well whoever the other person was supposed to be i don't know if that was supposed to be mother or whatever but uh d- did you get like that was some kind of elephant man deformity or like i, I guess they were supposed to look demonic but that's kind of i just kind of thought of like eric you know uh stoltz you know from elephant man you know that's kind of what i got for as I'm far glad as
1: i said that because i got deformity deformity is what i was thinking
0: and then, of course, they mimic Rosemary's Babies rape scene quite a bit in this because you got the blood going on, like you know, the blood's being painting painted on her. Uh, she's forced to drink the blood through the animal skull, uh, which they said that Ugh,
1: that was bleh.
0: that which they said they kept after the movie actually, and they they uh, drink regularly drink beer out of it now. So there's that that old thing.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she has all that poured in her mouth. Uh, she. Actually, uh, as opposed to Rosemary's Baby, this is a good contrast to where the movies kind of diverge a little bit, despite you know everything else going on. Like Samantha's actually not a passive protagonist like Rosemary is in her movie, but Samantha's like the actual strong woman that you know you would expect like you know people now to. To kind of put in a movie because to this point where she breaks free from you know her bonds and actually claws the elephant faced lady or whatever, uh, and then uh, ga- gouges the eyes out or one of the eyes out of the sun, uh, and then uh, st- uh,
1: excuse me, mysterious bearded man.
0: Okay, mysterious bearded man, uh, and pizza guy who uh, w- uh, want to be Patrick <laughs> Dempsey, and. She stabs uh, Tom Noonan's character uh, on the way out because she grabs one of the knives they have. That that's kind of a I think I kind of like that scene too because it's kind of showing her, you know, she she's got a lot more power than you know like Rosemary. Yeah, and she tries to run away, but it keeps like. When she first tries to run, away, she tries to run away. She slips in blood on the way out, and and you come to find out it's <laughs> for, actually from Megan's body because her Megan's like exploded head and, and the rest of her torso and everything's laying there beside of her. And so and and she gets up and and uh, and and I don't know if you got this, but I potentially kind of think that maybe the blood that she was forced to drink might have been Megan's blood. I mean, it could be wrong but, about that. It's but, possible. But it's possible.
1: Well, okay, but the, here's the thing: is they kind of alluded that when they showed elephant faced lady cutting her wrist area, they they gave the the I don't know they gave the illusion that she was draining her blood to give it to or Samantha the character, and so which is weird because when you're doing blood magic, usually it is with Somebody else's blood, not with the person doing the ritual.
0: Well, and there might be something too so, what you're saying too, because I was getting ready to say the next scenes we see are like the images she keeps having of the elephant face lady keeps flashing in her mind and she can't like focus on anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, and maybe that plays back to the fact that it was the elephant lady's blood that she drank and or you know, or drank and, and that's why she, you know, was having the you know, the flashbacks to like that the elephant lace lady or elephant face lady was like, you know, maybe possessing her a little bit at that point or, or something. I, I, it was,
1: (laughs) it was funny to me because, at this point, like I was just so ready for all the action because of the slow burn, and so I see the skull getting closer to her mouth, and I'm like, "Give it a kiss," and I'm, she's gonna have to kiss it, and all of a sudden, blood just starts spreading out, and I'm like, Ugh! "Like I'm literally spitting, like there's blood pouring into my mouth." Um, yeah, <laughs> it was an enjoyable scene
0: for me. And. And something else, those scenes where she keeps flashing the elephant face lady uh, looked like to me an homage to the the Exorcist. Uh, whenever pizza guy would keep flashing, <laughs> yes! you know, throughout the movie.
1: Oh my god! I'm glad you said something because I was thinking the same thing too. And they were good. It was nice because honestly, these flashes were long enough that you got a good look at the face. When you saw the elephant lady kind of in person, you got a couple of good shots of her. But they were so fast because they would flash back to Samantha. So you know, you kind of, I don't know, I didn't feel like they were that great, but when you got the flashes in her brain, I thought they were great. Not only did the character look scary, the flashes were long enough that you got to see good details and good makeup effects, so I, I appreciated them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm, i this whole last last part kind of, you know, saves, you know, for me, Uh, on the other side of it like you were talking about the the slow burn because there's enough action here to kind of make up for the scenes before it i just kind of wish that they would have done more with the scenes they had like we said if they just had like some more stuff in the background that she didn't see that would have made those scenes a little bit more bearable before they got to all the action at the end i'm fine with them saving the action the slow burn's fine it was just a little too much of a slow burn leading into this But I do like the scene where she gets upstairs and the the mysterious bearded man catches up with her. And and I don't understand this because, uh, you know, later on the movie, you know, it seems like they were trying to save Samantha for what they, you know, the birth, as it were. But it looks like Mysterious Bearded Man was totally going off script at this point because he was just going to fucking kill her. Like, he had the gun ready. Oh, yeah, and he, was,
1: he was ready to, yeah.
0: And and I But I really like the fact that she fights back in this scene, too, and she just slices his throat. And, I mean, it's quick and it's brutal. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, you know, there's no... I mean, she doesn't even think twice about it. It's just cut his throat and let me, you know, limp away and try to get upstairs because I'm having all these weird flashes that I can't seem to control. And then we have the scene where Mrs. Ullman has her last stand, She's kind of looking up at the, you know, lunar eclipse, or and kind of, you know, talking. You can tell she's angry by the fact that her son was killed, but she still, but she's still on board with keeping Samantha alive for the greater good or whatever they've got, you know, planned. because um, she's almost seems like she's in a religious high, like some kind of like, uh, uh you know, one of those moments uh, where you know, just she's just. I mean, she's totally enraptured. I guess is the word. She's like staring up at the at the eclipse or whatever, and she removes her wig. She's or,
1: asking the Lord to speak to her, and <laughs> I don't know which Lord we're talking about. Okay, I'm gonna go with the Dark Lord.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. There's nothing about her that speaks that she's uh, a born again Christian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who knows? It could be she could have been evangelist. Okay. Mm,
0: yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe she's uh, we summon the <laughs> darkness. Maybe she was doing it so Johnny Knoxville's uh, church can get some more money. <laughs> Um, uh, it's at this point that Samantha picks up the, the, or well, actually the, Samantha stabs her through with a knife and, and finally puts it in the Mrs. Ullman. Uh, and on the way out, I thought this was really Which great. stabbed
1: her like right in the sciatica. I, you know, and then she had blood coming out of her mouth. That was, that was a, that was a crazy kill.
0: Yeah, it was probably a little too quick. I mean the the lady would have taken longer to you know, to die than that, but I'm I'm happy that they kinda sped things along at this point. I mean, given the yes. the slow burn prior to it. Um, and I do like the next scene where she picks up the gun because it's 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 good for later whenever what they they do. But at the same time, it's also smart because if you've lost your knife and that was your only weapon and you still think there's a threat out there, I don't know how many horror movies that just I scream at the characters like you know, it's like you've got a weapon right there in front Get of the you. Weapon. Get pick it up and <laughs> she, she's just like yep, I'm grabbing this gun on my way out. Um, she tries to call nine one one, but the elephant lady rears her ugly head again, literally. Uh, and uh, it seems like she's almost in physical pain at this point. And I don't, I don't want to call it labor pain quite yet, but you know, given what happens later, it could be. Oh, no, it was
1: alluding to that.
0: And of course, she can't complete her nine one one call, so she just decides that she's going to run away. Uh, and then it shows that Ullman is, uh, still, uh, still kicking, even though he's bleeding out. I mean, he, he loses a lot of blood in the next few scenes. they are just ever droplets everywhere, uh, whenever he's coming after, her. but he, he's still, uh, he's still after her at this point and falls her all the way to the cemetery, actually. Um, and it's one, and this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, other than the, the mysterious bearded guy and, and, and Meg, Uh, I like the scene where, you know, he, you know, he meets her there and he's, you know, he's telling her, he's like, they're calling to you, listen to them, he's chosen you. And, uh, you know, she, she aims the gun at him, but he's, he's fine with dying. He lets her know that he's not the, he's not the focus of it. And then he tells her that she can't stop it now anyways, even if he, if he does kill her or she kills him. And um, I just love that she does what Rosemary couldn't do at this point. If we're going to compare it to Rosemary's baby yet again. She just puts the bullet, the gun to her head and pulls the trigger. I mean, there's no question, and if, ands, or buts, if she's given birth to something evil, she's not going to have anything to do with it. She's It's just bam, you know. And <laughs> then we end on the final scene. I don't know how you feel about this the hospital scene where she's uh, uh, still alive despite taking a bullet through the brain. And um, the nurse gives that cryptic, you know, tells her cryptically that both she and the child would be fine. <laughs>
1: Oh, God. And
0: then the movie, you know, just cuts the credits. Uh, so uh, it's it's kind of another contrast to Rosemary's baby, even though she tried to go the route that Rosemary kind of hinted, you know, kind of thought about for a while in, in her movie. Uh, apparently the child wouldn't let her do it because they were.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that in this particular movie, the child did not let her die.
0: And she's, uh, in this movie, it's kind of a weird contrast. Uh, Rosemary deliberately chose to carry her baby. She actually fought. So that the baby would would live, yeah. whereas in this movie, the uh, you know, uh, it, and I don't know if this is a you know, this could be like some kind of you know other message Ty West had in it about you know forcing people to you know carry children against their will. You know the abortion thing. It's not. I mean, it's it's really subtle if it is. But it, it she's for, uh, you know Samantha in this movie is forced to carry the baby against her will. She did not want this baby. She. Uh, even tried to kill herself so she wouldn't carry it. And uh, regardless of that, uh, you know, she's still got to carry it. Like, there's the, the, the baby wouldn't allow her to do it, or apparently. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else that you want to bring up about the movie or anything that you want to discuss about it otherwise? I mean, before we get to our ratings of the film?
1: No, because I'll probably discuss any other details within my ratings that will explain, you know, my reasonings for ratings and stuff like that. Okay, so. okay.
0: I'm going to give it two different ratings. It was originally an Attack of the Beast segment. So if I'm going to give it a Nicolas Cage rating, it's Con Air because it's enjoyable <laughs> and immensely rewatchable, but there's problems with it. Um, and the slow burn is the, the major problem. If, if Like I said, if that had been fixed, this would have been, you know, uh, A-plus movie for me. Uh, if I'm giving it uh, our regular rating, uh, as far as our ghostly rating, I'm going to give it a three, which is the Bruce Willis character from, uh, um, why, why am I blanking on the movie at the moment? Um, Six cents. Uh, because it almost got a four. It's almost a Miss Massey for me and it would have been that uh, because it started out on a super high with that scene with the uh, the lighter the mysterious bearded man and if it had just kept up that tempo or at least not let it drop off as much as it did and you know and when it picked back up at the end of the movie it would have been a four but uh, it, it it's such a slow burn at that one part that it kills the tension for me enough to where i had to drop it down to a three
1: Okay. And you really I know you really wanted to watch this movie. You've been talking to this to me about this movie for a minute. And what okay, so is this an indie film or is this a B film?
0: I it's it's pretty much an indie film. This was filmed on a really shoestring budget. I mean, there is I mean Yeah, nine hundred thousand. Yeah. I mean it's not I I mean, Ty West would, you know, I don't know if he ever went on to film anything you would consider, you know, he definitely didn't go on to film anything I don't think you consider A-list, but I mean, this was amongst some of his, you know, more indie films. I mean, as far as budget and just what he was able to scrape together to get it to go.
1: Okay. Which, I mean, makes sense. So, uh, I was right off the bat, I even told you, I was like, I'm nervous about this movie. I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it. I had the impression that you enjoyed it pretty well. You know previously and here we are watching it again and reviewing it and from the beginning to the end I could not get into this movie. I had a really hard time. (laughs) I am terrible with slow burns and I am terrible in particular with B films although this came off more indie but I don't like indie or B films. I'm very 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 picky. Watching these, uh, <laughs> there was details that I caught that gave it a very B-film vibe. I don't know if you caught it, but there's one point, I actually thought this was cool in the film, where her entire nightdress is covered in red. Like, it, it it was white, and it is completely red, and then a scene or two later, it's only partially red. Like, it only has a little bit of blood on it, versus completely being drenched in it, Things like that. Yeah, there were some cool aspects. Some of the actors were actually pretty amazing in this film. I did love her friend's death scene where she got shot in the car.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said. That was badass. That, that really sells a movie for me more than any other scene in the film.
1: Oh, it got me really excited because I'm like, fuck, it's finally happening. It's kicking off. It's kicking <laughs> off. And then from there, it just. It just didn't, it didn't impress me. There was just too many things that nothing made sense. Like the the noise, like she's investigating this noise. Why is she so nervous? I never really picked up what she was so scared. She barely saw one or two things that might have made her have some questions. I don't know. It, it just, it never connected for me. Um, so for me, I'm giving it a score of a one. It gets a Casper.
0: <laughs> oh wow. <for> me. Okay.
1: <laughs> Barely a friendly ghost for me. I was actually riffing on the movie the whole time. I was actually joking, so I apologize to my husband who was watching and I think enjoying the film. I made it unenjoyable for him <gasps> because I was making fun while I was watching it. Oh, and I was checking my phone a lot too.
0: Oh, man. I was kind of afraid that it might be that way for you. I warned you in advance about the slow burn part of it. It it really— You
1: did warn me. That was a very nice and fair warning, but oh, my God. It's like only the last 25 minutes of the film is action. I cannot do that. I need shit exploding. (laughs) I need people worshiping the devil. I need blood. I need guts. I need to be scared, and I need to cry myself to sleep. (laughs)
0: I, the only thing I want to say in defense of it because I mean I totally get where you're coming from I, I I can't really argue against that as far as like somebody who hates slow burns because it even for me I, I I think it's too much of a slow burn they should have added something in those scenes and Ty West clearly was one of uh, he didn't want to kill his darling on that or you know when it comes to the editing part of that because hearing him talk even behind the scenes I'm just like come on dude address it address it and he he's proud of those scenes those those slow burns and like where she's just there in the house investigating. I'm like, dude, you're you should have had somebody else like look at this and kind of punch it up a little bit. But you know, regardless of that, it could
1: have been artistic. There could have been more details in there. Uh, they could have worked had he put some more into it. Had her find some legitimate scary things to really make her have some fear in her heart. She had fear in her heart over hardly nothing. Well, the only th- so the- I honestly think the artistic view, what he's getting at, he could have made it work.
0: Well, th- there is ways that he could have picked it up and made it uh, made it more to where you could recognize fear in her. But I will say this, given the situation of how far out she was, how her friend had already warned her, how she had her, you know, like, hackles up already over the fact that Tom Noonan was, like, you know, changing the deal on her at the last minute, I can give it some leeway as far as, like, her fear. Because, I mean, and maybe I'm projecting here, but I can only imagine it, especially at somebody who's 5'4", You know, like, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, like out in the boonies or whatever, you know, like agreeing to the situation, even if it was her own, you know, you know, doing and her own greed that got her in the situation. I can't imagine being, you know, like that, that small, you know, female character like out in the middle of nowhere with nobody else around her to kind of help her if there's like something else going on. And you already have kind of the vibe set that there's something weird about this place. I mean, I can kind of see you know, maybe having some of that fear going into it, maybe not as extreme as what she had, but you know, at least having it in the back of her mind, like I'm in a fucked up situation and this could go South any minute. I don't know, you know, what's really going on here. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, maybe I see what you're saying there. I just think they could have built it up a little bit better, or he could have well, built it like, up a little bit better. Like I said, so. if
0: they would have just had it anything in the background that she didn't recognize necessarily, but we did, you know, to kind of give the audience at least a little bit more to go on. Because I feel like it just dragged it out so much, and there was so much redundancy. I said, uh, like I said again, in the scenes where. I mean, not only is she investigating for 10 or 15 minutes, but then you have the dance scene. The dance scene by itself would have sufficed to kind of, you know, even if you wasn't trying to build up the... Well, you Actually, if you'd had the dance scene and you had her kind of like, you know, chilling out or whatever, and then she sat down and watched the TV, because I did like that scene, and then kind of had her like, okay, I'm kind of getting creeped out. You know, there's the eclipse and there's this and, you know, and then had her investigate a little bit more that might have played... I mean, if you'd done it in reverse and not had her investigate before the dance scene, I think that that would have worked better as far as like you know, maybe leading into the final scenes.
1: I wonder if she got that $400.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean... (laughs) I think think he did... Did she
1: get to keep the apartment? I'm joking. Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, hopefully with that baby on board, she's going to have to have it now, but...
1: Oh, she's going to need it now, yeah.
0: The only other thing I'm going to say in defense of the movie is you take a movie with that minor of a budget and just... uh, You... You, if you've not seen shitty indie films like I have, you you can't appreciate how oh, how, yeah. how theatrical this really is. I mean, for an indie film, he really put in effort to make this thing look good. I mean, it might not look good, That's, you know, true. versus like Rosemary's Baby, but it's definitely better than you know, like say that Krampus film that I reviewed, you know, a few episodes back. On, I mean, there's night and day difference between those types of films. So, I mean, to me, I mean, I, I can see that what limited budget he had, he put the love and care into making it look like a theatrical film.
1: Yeah, it wasn't terrible, terrible, but I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't get into it. So
0: Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to uh, plug or, or say before we uh, you know leave for the night? I guess it is?
1: Um, other than the fact that Death Holler has been keeping uh, the lights on for a blue collar BS, I just want to throw that out there. I think we've done a great job. Woo! <laughs> we've been really putting the content out there, so hopefully everyone's been enjoying it. Uh, the studio is 90% back together. We have recorded kind of an update show on men have a penis and women are from Venus. So if you'd like to head on over to YouTube, that's the only place you can find that episode. Uh, it is there to kind of let you know what's been going on. We are. We have the cameras In studio, they are not hooked up yet, so the cameras will be coming soon. Um, Hot Mess Express is going to start recording here shortly. Blue Collar BS will be back as well every Friday. And um, I think um, The Hubs has a few other shows. He's kind of, not a few others, but like one other show he's working on. No set schedule other than every Friday for Blue Collar BS. As for Death Hollow, you can catch us pretty much at least once a month. If you like, subscribe, follow, we're on Pandora, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube. Uh, We're pretty much all the major places you can listen to a podcast. Hit the like button, subscribe to us, and you'll get a reminder every time something pops up. So that way we don't have to tell you because we don't have a schedule. We just put something out. We're trying to do once a month. It seems like we're doing a uh, special presentation once a month now too which is pretty exciting.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, so
1: and I like that. I dig it. So Yeah,
0: and we we appreciate, you know, any and all listeners. I mean, it's it's you know, gratifying that anybody that, you know, uh, you know, af- as much effort as we put into making these shows to have anybody enjoy them. So, uh, you know, put that out there. Yeah,
1: we hope you like it as much as we enjoy recording them.
0: And with that, peace be with you.
1: And with your spirit. If you enjoyed this special presentation of House of the Devil, please look out for our next episode where we review The Omen. Death Holler is brought to you by Blue Collar BS. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.